0: lips of the heart. everybody, welcome to We've Got Ward, a Daily Planet Productions podcast series where we expertly dissect and discuss Ward, Wild return to the world of parahumans. My name is Matt Freeman and this, this is Scott Daly.
1: No, no jokes Matt?
0: Too sad.
1: But, but theater is all we are. Touché. As you said, this is the podcast where you and I eagerly dive into Wild Bo's world of villain power struggle, power struggles, giant tree monsters, and alien-based death powers as we analyze and interpret this ongoing web serial. This week, we take a break from Torch and cover all of the special week-long event arc, Eclipse. So we're going to be covering the whole arc this time, Matt, chapters X.1 all the way through X.8. Um, we haven't gotten to cover a whole arc in one go in a while now. It's been... Man, it's been four months since we we caught up to Ward. So this is an exciting time.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's 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 awesome. I'm glad to revisit our roots, actually, and uh, get get our whole episode deep dive into a single arc um, mojo on.
1: Yeah, um, not not to say that I don't like getting to dive really deep into the two chapters a week we do. I really do enjoy that. And there were times when I was prepping for this week's episode that I was like, man, I just, I have stuff to say about this, but I don't feel like I have enough to say to where I had to just move on to where if we were doing this just two chapters at a time. We could have gotten into that stuff. Um, but I love getting to analyze this this, this. this arc is a complete story and it's a section of a larger story, but it very much comes back on itself. It very much comes to a sort of resolution and getting to see that from the beginning to end and getting to talk about that all at once uh, as a real joy and I I'm so looking forward to this episode
0: yeah I agree I find that there is some kind of advantage to being able to encompass the whole arc of the thing in, in one conversation even though we can go deeper into the minutiae in the two chapter episodes this seems more I mean there's an advantage like a higher altitude view you know you can pick out things that are that are larger level trends and stuff like that um I don't know I I'm I'm, I'm excited yeah um, so let's do and it on that note. Yeah. So um, because this is going to be a long one, we're just going to go ahead and defer our discussion of the um, discussion question from last time to next week's episode. Uh, and that was, of course, what's your favorite example of descriptive writing from Wildbow? Well, we're going to talk about that next week and we're not going to ask a discussion question this week. We're just going to kind of let that one float, give you all more time to submit your uh, favorite piece of description writing from Wildbow and and we'll catch up with that later um, because there's plenty to talk about today.
1: (laughs) That's putting it very mildly.
0: So without further ado let's dive into chapter x.1. Yes. Um, And as we begin we quickly notice that Eclipse plays with perspective to a significant degree because what we're seeing here at the start isn't so much what is happening as what Ashley is recalling.
1: Yeah, so I think this is, this is one of the, the wrinkles we have to keep in mind all throughout this thing. The structure of this arc is not, we've now flashed back in time and are seeing the events of the Boston games. It's, it's not that. It's literally, we're, we're taking a peek into Ashley's memory and we have to know that, that memory can be warped and distorted and rewritten. And that's before we take into account that the Ashley that we know in Ward is not the Ashley we're seeing in this memories, but a clone of that person whose memories were crafted by Riley. Um, And we'll, we'll get to all what all that means later, but I think that's something you just, when you're kind of absorbing this arc, those are kind of things you have to keep in mind that this is not a a typical flashback type of structure.
0: Yes. Yeah, exactly. Like um, we're, we're, we're quite disoriented. um, And, And I like I like this next bit where she watches one of her pills swirl the drain and then she's interrupted by a guard who demands that she get rid of the glass bottle she's using. Um, And she's agitated by the encounter in particular because it's a big man throwing his weight around and we'll eventually learn why that specifically bothers her.
1: Yeah, this is such a strong opening to the chapter and indeed to the whole arc. And I want to focus some real attention on this, even though we have eight entire chapters to cover here Matt um because a- as she's watching the pill circle a drain she thinks back and she thinks back um to her life before all of this and which which by the way is like setting us up for those flashbacks like we're 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 literally laying the treads down to set up this move back into the past moment and and we we get this understanding that how how she's been on the edge of a knife for so long and acting acting as if she's on the edge of the knife acting as if she's just circling that drain has become instinctual for her. She doesn't even think about it anymore. That's just who she is, but she's decided she's going to go to jail now. And like we said last week, she's hopeful that that will mean once and for all, someone else will have to worry about this part of her. She will finally get to rest. Um, and I, I think we, we kind of know that that's probably not exactly going to be the case, but, but she's terrified here. and, and, I love that she takes that fear and like attaches it to this pill that she's watching circle this drain. And and she wanted to see if it somehow survived despite the odds. She wanted to see it fall at the same time to see if she could spot what finally doomed it. So it's not it's I want to know. I want to know what's going to happen here. I want to know if if will will it find will I finally succeed? Will I finally pull off what I wanted to? Or if I'm going to fail, I want to know how that is so I can know how to predict it. And what I love about the scene is I think it ha- kind of like perfectly reflects the final moments of of chapter eight of this arc. And uh, we'll get to that in a bit. But I want to think back on that when we get there, because it's kind of it's it's, it's a big circle. It's a big circle.
0: Yeah, it certainly is. And, and we definitely will. I, I think that there's a lot of uh, symmetry. And I'm just going to say up front that, like, I, I think the the metaphor here is like an eclipse The light is slowly occluded until it reaches a full eclipse and it's completely dark. And then the, you know, the moon or whatever moves out of the way again and you see, you begin to see the light again. And there's, there's a symmetry to the, to the um, progression of the arc in terms of getting darker and then perhaps getting, getting lighter, but I think that, the thing gets more complicated than that because it's not like uh, the last chapter of this arc is particularly light. But anyway, we'll yeah it's, we'll talk about that.
1: I mean, it, I think more hopeful is I think hope is the the big the big word here, and and that mm-hmm. light represents hope. So I think you're absolutely right that that's that's where that's where the the metaphor of eclipse falls in. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'd like as we leave this moment, I really like that she's observing this pill and she wants to know what happens and she's interrupted by this guard. She never gets to see what happens to the pill. By the time she looks back at it, it's already down the drain and gone and she doesn't see exactly how it happened. Um, And I think that's this big guy is, is some imagery that relates back to her trigger event and the, the man who bossed her around and abused her. Um, But also I think this may be a hint that maybe this prison thing is not such a great idea because like, she's like trying to see what's going to happen. She's trying to, to to observe how she's going to be and what's going to happen and she's rudely interrupted by this guy that's going to boss her around and that's it's kind of going to be what prison's like
0: right yeah it also reminds us of of bob and you know the fact right. that it's not a coincidence that that was the kind of person who she killed yeah um yeah and then we get this great moment where she's you know trying to keep herself from kind of snapping at him in her characteristic kind of you know sh- barbed away and she th- she's thinking it it was as if an invisible hand was flipping a coin heads good to go statement made tails she would say something like what she had intended except it would be wrong in a way that only seemed clear to her in the aftermath there would be another invisible coin flip after that to see if she could stop herself there
1: yeah man and i think this is what this interlude can really do for us um because we we know from the past how We've learned from Ashley telling us how every move, every decision, every moment is ruled by this this thing inside her that's threatening to spiral out of control. Um, But we don't really get that until we're truly in her head. And that's what Eclipse does for us. And I think a coin flip is just a really wonderful way to visualize that, because. You see every moment, every decision, everything she says, everything she does is a choice but it's a choice that seems to be out of her hands. It's a coin flip. She doesn't even get to choose between the two. It's just luck or or fate or whatever you want to call it. Um, she It's just flipping a coin each time. Am I going to kill this guy? Maybe.
0: <laughs> Let's yeah. see
1: what the coin says.
0: I, I particularly like the idea that she can see that it was wrong in in the aftermath in retrospect right, and right. Th- that that's because this is modern day Ashley who has self-awareness and she's able to even if she doesn't have self-awareness in the moment she's able to look at her actions and say like oh that thing where I went super villain monologue that was actually a bad idea and and she's fully capable of, of kind of seeing that and, and owning it and recognizing it whereas when when we jump back into Ashley of the past the difference here is that she would always you know double down on on her on her ranting and paranoia and really had no forcing function pushing her away from that and that's why things just got worse and worse for her
1: but isn't that tragic in a way because if if it's truly a coin flip if it's truly like and maybe this is just her negativity speaking. Maybe it's she's ha- she has more control over this than she thinks she does, but it's truly a coin flip. And you are able to realize that the things you are doing are wrong, but are almost powerless to stop them. That almost becomes more tragic to me. Like she's just more aware of of this chain of events, but she still struggles with control over over knocking that first domino. Yeah, and I just mixed metaphors there, but fine.
0: <laughs> I mean, it definitely is more tragic in a way because you can see her struggle now, whereas it wasn't so much struggle before as just kind of pointless suffering um, yeah. and, and and you know, just endlessly making mistakes that she had no awareness or understanding of. At least, you know, now she has understanding of the mistakes she's making and that makes it, um, yeah, that makes it more tragic. I, I agree with you there. But we have seen her, you know, avoid swerving into the ditch at least a couple times. Yeah, Um, yeah. And then, of course, you know, aggressively swerving into the ditch at least once. So,
1: well, she's I mean, she's claiming that the pills that she's taking are part of what helps control the coin Mm -hmm. flips. Um, And maybe uh, maybe she's just selling herself a little short and maybe she's more in control of which which side that coin lands on than she's willing to give herself credit for.
0: Yeah. So we'll have to see where her character goes from here. So uh, she's then escorted back to the room where her pretrial hearing is to be held, and she's trying for like a regal bearing, and Kenzie is there, because Kenzie is always everywhere first. Um, And uh, after Ashley sends her away to get some refreshments, Ashley deduces that she gave the lawyer a doctored video making it look like her murder of Bob was more defensive than it actually was, and Ashley is sure to tell the lawyer not to let it be shown.
1: Yeah, that's very... Sweet of you, Kenzie, but I'm happy Ashley noticed this and put a stop to it. Um, it's funny that we talked about this when, when the murder happened. We talked about all the extenuating circumstances and how you could make arguments one way or another. Um, and we've seen that the book is not going to go there, really. Um, but Kenzie wanted to.
0: yeah. <laughs> Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it tells us that Kenzie is basically willing to commit crimes for, yeah. for Ashley, which I mean, we kind of already knew she was willing to go here. So,
1: yeah. And that that's interesting, too, because we're forced to contemplate now. What kind of stuff will Kenzie get up to without Ashley around to hold her in check? Will Victoria be enough to hold Kenzie in check to notice these things? Because in this moment, Ashley knew Kenzie was probably going to do this. Ashley called it and called it correctly. Um, we have no indication whether anyone else on the team was aware that this was happening or um, had any knowledge to think that Kenzie might try something like this. So it gets you worried. Like, uh, Victoria's great, but she's trying to juggle all these members of this team. Is she going to be enough to to support and, and put Kenzie in check when she needs it?
0: Right, because Victoria, you know, she she flew to the, to the hearing. We saw her do that. We didn't see any indication that she was suspicious, whereas as soon as Ashley gets there she sends Kenzie away and then he's like what did she give you you know she she right. knows Kenzie so well that she's just like yeah. ahead of her basically Kenzie
1: like she, she reads from Kenzie looking a little too confident and maybe giving her a slight smirk and she deduces from there she's like oh, mm-hmm. of course um yeah so yeah. she knows her more than anyone so this is yeah this makes me like it, it makes me worried
0: yep so now Victoria arrives and we see Ashley from Ashley's perspective she gives Victoria a similar fashion once over to the type that Victoria frequently aims at others (laughs) Yep, and and she thinks to herself who would I have been if I'd never had powers if I was born into a different situation Would I have resembled Victoria?
1: This is fascinating to me. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think it's so instructional on how we tend to um, observe people and how perspective Shifts under understanding of things. Ashley looks at Victoria and says if I hadn't gone through all my terrible shit, I could be like this person. And, and Victoria would probably hear that and be like, are you kidding me? Like I've gone through so much shit. You have no idea. And it's just like, it's like, it's kind of a a grass is always greener thing where like, like you can tell she admires Victoria on some level and looks up to her and, and thinks how much better I could have been like this. This is what I could have had. Um, And Victoria would not, would not see it that way.
0: Yeah, man, like, I don't want to jump around in the arc too much, but there's so many interesting beats of, of like, how she thinks of Victoria where, like, there's moments like this where she clearly kind of admires her and then later she's just, she gets irritated with her and then starts thinking that she's an idiot, Um, but then, like, immediately goes back to admiring her and it's yeah. this very interesting, like, like, grudging admiration and, I mean, it says a lot about her character and how she has so much trouble you know actually relating to anyone
1: yeah i mean and and she has trouble admitting closeness to people Mm -hmm. which um, we will learn is very understandable so this kind of push pull um i hate you no i respect you relationship with victoria makes a lot of sense in that context
0: yeah yeah um so here we have an important moment which i'm not even sure if this is the first mention of the hands but Um, It's chronologically, I suppose, uh, the first mention of the hands. Ashley's hands gripped her upper arms. There were no good days anymore. There were the bad days, and there were the days she dreaded the bad days. And it's important to note, you know, as you're going back through this arc, that this is before her powers. This is before everything. This focus on the hands, this mantra of there being no good days, only bad days, this is what her life was like before her trigger event. This was her whole life.
1: Yeah. And I'm glad you called this out here because you're absolutely right that. Look, this this arc is incredible and it's incredible because it has these thematic motifs running through it and the hands are one of the big ones. Ashley's focus on her hands. We hit this beat over and over and over again throughout the story and it, and it makes sense. Her hands are the source of her power. It's where her power comes out of and therefore they're like symbolic of her lack of control. And so as her hands change and are damaged and are forcefully turned into other things throughout the course of this arc, that is instructive of Ashley's journey. So we've kind of distilled Ashley down to the symbol that we follow throughout the arc and it's, it's beautifully done. It comes in, just when it needs to and kind of kind of leads you through Ashley's change and I think it's 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 great and it's it's Matt this was written in a week it's in a week
0: <laughs> Yeah no I I think I mean we we have so much to talk about in such detail that that you you're right there's a danger that we might avoid that that we might you know miss pointing out that this is like a an absolute beautiful like treasure and um I'm so glad that we got this arc and yeah. I love it in its entirety and, and this, this focus on this tragic character and um, just made me so sad and gave me so many emotions. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. And there's, they, there's something else going on here too, right? We're, we're not, not only are we set like in this one, two sentences that you've pulled together We set up the hands, the the motif of the the hand symbol throughout the thing. And we also set up this idea of bad days and the days she dreaded the bad days, which Mm -hmm. is another thing, another beat we're going to hit multiple times throughout the course of this arc. Um, as, As Ashley moves through this journey, she thinks back on that is her life. There are bad days and there are days that you dread the bad days. And that's all you have. That's all you have. You have nothing to look forward to. There's never a good day. There's never hope. There's never looking to tomorrow and looking to the future. It's just that. And we're going to circle back around to that beautifully by the end of this arc. And, and so good.
0: it's just such a like beautifully succinct expression of what it's like to be in that headspace. And I've right. certainly never been anywhere near Ashley's headspace in these arcs. But I think everyone can relate to feeling that way at one time or another, you know. And it's just yeah. it's such a it's not it's not overwrought. It, it uses like the absolute minimum number of words to say what it needs to say. That it that she's she is so without hope that she doesn't even conceive of hope being a possibility.
1: Yeah, and it's so much better than just saying there are bad days and worse days, right? I mean, it could have just been that. It's like, I've got bad days and I have worse days. And that's not what it's saying. It's saying I have bad days. And then even if I have what what you might consider a good day, I can't even enjoy it because I believe in every fiber of my being that a bad day is coming anyway. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's, you're right. It's so succinctly, beautifully done. Um, and it's such a, a fabulous way of of contrasting this Ashley, the Ashley we're with right now at her trigger event to the Ashley we see throughout the Boston games to the Ashley we see by the end of this chapter, who is a very different person, both literally and and metaphorically.
0: (laughs) Yeah, right. So, yeah, this this is the scene. This is Ashley's trigger event and, and we're witnessing it. So what happens, of course, is her father savagely beats her mother and Ashley cowers and um, it says, Ashley made a noise of the sort that little kids made. She was 13. She wasn't supposed to make that kind of sound.
1: So let's, for the third time in a row, this is something that's beautifully set up that pays off wonderfully by the end of the arc. Um, and, and we have to pull it because of that. So we can circle back around to it in chapter seven. But right. I I love, the thing I want to talk about here is the idea of perspective and uh, point of view and I like that w- in these interludes we always move to th- to third-person perspective where we're in first person when we're with the the story proper but we move into interludes even if it's an arc-long interlude we move to a third-person per- perspective but even when we do that we never really lose the character voice like we mm-hmm. don't we don't really zoom out to a narrator like reading the events or like retelling the story to people we're still We're not in Ashley's perspective, but we still have her voice. And that, that is what I think you can see here in this statement. She wasn't supposed to make that kind of sound. That's not an authority, authority, a narrator making judgment, passing judgment on the voice that Ashley just made. That's Ashley's internal judgment. That's Ash. That's coming from her herself. She is saying, I am 13. I am not supposed to be making this kind of sound. And I think that's so important as part of her character and I think I think it's it's why even as we shift a third person in these interludes we don't we don't lose understanding of the character
0: yeah I think that reflects on some other moments that I'm not sure if I did pull out but specifically the ones where she she like sneers at someone else for being weak yeah and she she kind of can't stand weakness and the reason is that it reminds her of her own vulnerability. I'm not even going to say her own weakness because it's, it's no shame to be, to, to be terrified of, of, you know, a monstrous person who's, who's tormenting you. Um, yeah. Yeah. So in this moment, uh, Ashley tries to help her mother attacking her father with a fireplace poker, but he easily disarms her. And when he hits her, she triggers with a power meant to break worlds and she kills him. And then when she goes to help her mother, her power misfires again, killing her mother. And, um, Scott, this is like the saddest trigger event, like in the world, right? I-, I mean, certainly compared to literally any of the ones we know about from the story.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, they're all like universally awful. But this, yeah, this one got me. And I think, I think what really got me in this one was how her mother reacts to her trigger and to the fact that she just like disintegrated her father. Um, I think it'd be very easy to do. Like, I think there's, there's a, there's a inclination to want to do a very standard, like shrink away in fear. Like, I don't know who you are anymore. I don't know what you are anymore. You scare me. That's not what she does here. She actually like seems to embrace her. She calls her over here. She looks at her white hair and calls it special. Even, even in this moment that she just did this horrible thing that she had almost no control over her. Um, her mom still seemed to love her and, Mm -hmm. and like embraces her Mm -hmm. and then she kills her. Yeah. And that just like, that makes it so much worse than it could have been.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so entirely tragic and, and like it's, it's very interesting and kind of complicated because knowing that the powers have agency almost makes you hate her power even yeah. more because, you know, the powers don't have to be such assholes. Like, like it, it. This power has decided to be chaotic and uncontrolled. Yeah, to force her into situations where she has to use it, and c- killed her support system as basically its first action. Um, and I, I don't know how you know exactly how much like calculating foresight to put on a shard, but yeah, kind of. That was my thought. Was like, was like it, it. it Ashley didn't so much kill her mother as this this alien did you know
1: yeah all shards are dicks this shard is an asshole yes (laughs) but I think it I think that's so it's it's very instructive for the character that Ashley is that that she doesn't just kill people that she's mad at right that like she loved her mother in this moment. Her mother loved her in this moment. Her mother was trying to calm her down and trying to help her in this moment. And and her shard such an asshole that she even kills her. And yeah. of course, we're gonna see this a very similar death repeated later in the chapter. Yeah. Um, and I think that's so important that we're establishing like that the the, the difference in that kind of killing. Yeah. Yep.
0: Yeah. So now. Having done this, having experienced this horrible trauma, the young girl gathers her things, the things she'll need for a life of homelessness and squatting in abandoned buildings. And as she leaves, we match-cut through the darkness to join Ashley with Jessica. And of course, Ashley would call her Jessica and not Dr. Yamada because Ashley can't give anyone their honorific title.
1: Yeah, I guess before we move on, Matt, we should explain what we mean when we say match-cut because it's actually like... A filmmaking term. <laughs> yeah, there may,
0: there may be there may be an actual literary term for this, but there, I like I like that we've decided to go with this.
1: There probably is. But I'm a movie guy. I can't help it. Um, yeah. So basically throughout almost it's not every single section break in this arc, but throughout most of the section breaks in this arc, we have um, a we use the little little moon symbol, which, by the way, is great because it's like selling how unique this arc is because our section breaks in the story proper are usually just a circle with a dot in it. I'm not sure exactly what that means. It could be a sun. I don't know, whatever. Um, But we do, we do a little moon here and we break mid action and then move to a new time or place with a very similar action. So like in, in filmmaking, a match cut is like if someone's standing with their back turned to you with their hand raised and then you cut to another scene with Maybe the same character, maybe another character, maybe in a different place, but it's it's the same framed scene. It's the same gesture. It's like it just it's a continuation of that that gesture or pose or frame, but in a different scene. And that's basically what we're doing here. um, Yeah, over and over again.
0: And usually, it's it's not just like oh, that's cute. You know, it's it's drawing attention to a symbol or or a theme by doing that. Right. Um, particularly here i I was actually thinking that possibly every transition is 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 a match cut either through a visual or an action or in some cases even like a more abstract metaphorical connection i didn't necessarily try to draw all those out because some of them i felt very uncertain about um but that like in in every case i was able to be like well you could say that this aspect of this character is kind of like this thing that this person was just portraying Mm -hmm. so that's the sort of a sort of a a parallelism but it's yeah. it's it's not a visual certainly so yeah all right so um, Ashley admits to Jessica that things feel incoherent and that her mind is mixing memory and present day and we begin to understand at this point that the structure of this chapter is more than just literary flair that this is a more this what we've been reading is more or less how Ashley is experiencing this chunk of time Yamada mentions that powers have a strong tendency to mess with dreams and sleep.
1: Yeah, and I I think this is where the genius of using those match cuts start to tie in, right? Um, As you said, we're not just jumping around randomly between scenes for fun. We're experiencing Ashley's mind here. We're in her head and like she's talking as she talked about at the start of this chapter, like she hears a song that triggers a memory, like so many things like that's, that's kind of how memories work in people. They just kind of meander and flow from one thing to another randomly. But usually we people retain the ability to distinguish between like where the present and the past we can, we can distinguish between memory and what's current. It seems like Ashley is having difficulty doing that. And these match cuts between section breaks, um, seem to be literally like expressing that just cut of I just immediately transition to something else. I immediately move over to a memory because this reminded me of something or this this segues into another memory, another experience. And it's kind of uncontrollable and, and incoherent, as she says. Um, and I think that's that's how we structurally establish that in the story to match with what is going through Ashley's mind.
0: Yeah, and she very specifically says that the memory that she was just in felt more real than what she's experiencing now. So it's not it's not just like a memory, it's like it's like a replay, you know. It's yeah. it's something more, it's something more powersy.
1: Yeah. Fucking shards.
0: Yeah. Um so they're talking about the end of the world here, and here's one of those beats I was talking about where um Jessica says people would lose their minds if they took it at face value. And she says, because they're weak. Um and and I like that Jessica just kind of is like, let's not rehash old yeah. old things. And she's just like, fine, whatever. Um, so, so anyway, this scene moves on. And Ashley mentions that she wants to dig out the memories of the things that she's proud of. Um, and she clarifies not happy memories, but memories of when she was at her best. And she won't then clarify what that means because, of course, she's talking about the Boston Games. And she knows that Jessica wouldn't really be up for that.
1: Yeah. And again, we get to go back and do our thing. Hey, look, Matt, this is set up for the rest of the arc because that's what the first chapter does. Um, And now that we're covering a whole arc at once, we can do that. And that's what we're doing here. We're this first chapter of this story, this this independent story of Ashley and the Boston games is doing a lot of heavy lifting to set up what the structure of the arc is going to look like. We're talking about memories, um, going back to finding good memories, um, not happy ones, be prepared for sadness, but the ones where Ashley was at her best. So this is all setting up. This is all telling how the rest of this arc is going to go. And, um, and I think, I think it's, it's important because this is something we really need to carefully define here because, we're going to learn Ashley's definition of when she was at her best is probably not what most people would say, yeah, you were great there, um but she's a very different person. So we have to be very careful to define this because it matters. The that that the the difference in her definition of that is important.
0: Yeah, like the way you just phrased that, it it makes it kind of clear that this is this is the time when her shard was happiest with her behavior. Yeah. yeah. So not, not when Ashley was anything close to a happy person. Um, so, yeah. So this next short section in this chapter is a POV from Edict, uh, one of the capes in Ashley's hometown. And we learn a little bit about Edict's existence, trying to balance being a, a mom with being a cape. And uh, then we see her learn about the beginnings of trouble in Boston. Uh, we also get a glimpse of the PRT attitude toward Damsel, She's a troublemaker, but in some sense, she's pitiable. They all discuss arranging an accidental, quote unquote, uh, grocery drop off to her location and um, generally express kind of like almost parental care toward her. And they suspect that she's making her way to Boston and they've been ordered to head there as well.
1: Yeah, this is this whole section is so clever, Matt, because once again, we're jumping back in time and using this. Jump to lay the groundwork for the arc. Um, that's what this entire chapter is doing. Now we're we're positioning things. We're showing the start of Boston Games. We're showing how Ashley is headed there. Now we're we're getting her on her way. But we're doing something a little weird here, because we've seemingly jumped character perspective now. Now this is not too unusual. Um, we've had interlude chapters that have jumped between characters mid chapter. That has happened before. But Eclipse, it turns out, is not one of those chapters or not one of those arcs. This is the only time in the entire arc that we seem to leave Ashley's point of view. And that's because we don't, mm-hmm. we don't actually do that. This, this is Ashley remembering something that isn't hers. And, and I think what's so clever about this as we get to that reveal later is this is kind of wild boat subverting expectations because this Sto- like I've said so many times stories teach you how to read them and and we are here in this moment seeming to set up a chapter and set up an arc that shows that maybe in this arc we're going to jump around between characters a little bit so it's subverting your expectation on that um, to 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 yes mislead you but in a way that seems very fair because you're just kind of falling into a trap of how the structure of the story works
0: mm-hmm. yeah I, yeah I, it's so clever it's It's interesting, I find myself going down this rabbit hole on on the last few things I've said that like I'm wondering why would her shard be giving her these memories of this person who almost like like loved her and wanted to take care of her like this is not that this is very foreign to ashley and, and is not the kind of thing that you would feed Ashley if you were trying to undermine her and make her feel isolated yeah. um it it's in some sense really nice to give her this memory. Um, You know, this, this like unambiguous, unforgeable indication that someone actually cared about her. And uh, I just think that's really interesting that, 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 that ended up in her, in her brain.
1: Yeah. I mean, the pessimist in me says her shard goes, Hey, look, look what you fucked up. (laughs) Congratulations.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Basically.
1: Remember how you thought no one ever actually cared for you. Here's all these people that did.
0: Yeah, that's that, that's true. Like yeah, like basically at any time you could have you could have legitimately gone in and, and joined the wards even though you thought they were trying to screw you over. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a good point. Thanks. I was almost I was almost happy about that for a second.
1: <laughs> well good. My job is done.
0: Yeah. Um okay, so moving on into X dot two. Only Ashley, seven more to go. Only seven more to go. <laughs> Making great time, folks. Um Ashley travels very carefully, incognito, to Boston via bus. She enjoys the game of it, the cat and mouse with the authorities. She even keeps score, and uh, she meets some young lawless kids, and she begins to worm her way into the Boston underworld. But uh, this is a very different Ashley now. This is a much less self-aware, much younger and more raw Ashley than the one that we just left in the previous chapter.
1: Yeah, I think this is so important to point out because you're absolutely right here. This is this is very distinctly a different kind of Ashley than we've seen in Ward before. Even Ashley in the last chapter, she feels different. And the, the gamification of this whole thing is such an important uh, signifier th- to point out that change, that she's playing this game with herself. And it's something, uh, she kind of continues to play this game throughout this whole thing. I mean, there's a reason why... Uh, Metaphorically, it fits that this was called the Boston Games. Um, it seems to signify the, the gamification of this whole thing. And it's such an immature, childish way to look at this whole thing, this extremely dangerous and deadly power imbalance. But that is how Ashley looks at it. And there's this part here that I think points out like the, matur- the immaturity of her the most. Um, she's talking to the kids, and one of the kids says, You don't scare easy. You'll manage. You're tough, huh? And her response is, Been on my own for three years now. Ran away. Fending for myself, she said, smiling. Like, she's proud of it. Like, that that is a badge of honor. And someone replies with, That's so sad. (laughs) Because it is. It is very sad. And her immediate reaction, the smile falls from her face, she immediately decides, I hate this person. This person, I don't want anything to do with them. And... It's such it's so immature to be like, look at my accomplishments. I've been on my own and doing things by myself is such a childish thing to brag about. Um, like, uh, no, no, like a mature person would ever go like, yeah, I've been on my own. Look at me. Um, as if that makes you strong by by itself. And yeah, it's yeah, she's so she's such a kid. She's just a little kid.
0: Right. Yeah. We very very quickly sketch out like, yeah, this is this is a kid. This is. This is a less, I mean, it sounds like we're, like, ragging on her, but we're just stating the facts and the way the text yeah. conveys it, that she's, she's she's immature, impulsive, childish, and, like, very poorly socialized on top of that because she's been so isolated. Yeah. And all these things come through, and they all are bad for her. Mm-hmm. So the youths tell her about the status quo in the city and that she should avoid death Chester and other boroughs with similar uh, epithets uh, but she likes the sound of deathchester and she decides that she'll claim it
1: yeah even this feels so childish and and gamey a little bit like where am i gonna set up shop the one with the coolest edgelord pun name that's where um and and it's like it's so fun. like yeah deathchester that's the coolest one i want that one um it's she just, hasn't she, even
0: seen it she doesn't know what's there no,
1: she picks it on a whim it's just yeah it's just like the, it sounds like a cool name for something
0: yeah right like she doesn't she has no idea what it would actually be like to be a warlord she's just like i'm gonna go do that because i watched a lot of tv and it seems like i would like it but yeah yeah
1: and i think it's important to know that she's 16 by now right because she was 13 when she triggered and she's 16 which was um basically taylor's age right um Mm -hmm. and like, I'm not saying Taylor was the most mature person in the world, but I think the difference is striking here, um, especially when we we define early on that Ashley, even at 13, might have been because of circumstances forced into kind of a regressive type of existence where she maybe did not mature as fast. She should have even before the trigger event and everything went down. Um, so it, it just kind of compounded on itself here.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I. I- I have spent a lot of time actually thinking about the differences between this character and Taylor, because um even when they're being their own brand of insane, like Ashley has these flares of anger and, and fury and lack of control. Whereas what would happen to Taylor is more like she would just like calmly and rationally be like, I guess I'll have to cut this guy's face now and, and kind of, you know, almost dis- disassociate from like the horror of what she was doing um, just very different approaches to kind of different kinds of unhinged character, and I kind of like that uh, that aspect specifically. Yeah. So anyway, um, she asks, uh, she hands uh, cash to one of the kids to pay for information, but uh, th- to get them to to drive her to Deathchester, and she's she's in the zone, um, and and she's aware of being in the zone. And here we continue to sketch out her her psychology, her constantly seeking this fragile high of accomplishing things and winning at the game that she set for herself.
1: Yeah. The zone is a really important thing to her and it will continue to be so throughout her, her adventures in Boston. Um, but I, I think it's, I think it's really fascinating. Um, how, how like complicated this gets with her, like how complex of a character she is. And the most revealing thing to me in all this is when she's like driving down the street, in this car uh, looking out at the windows and she starts relating things back to documentaries. She's watched about Roman augury practices and, and Emperor Caligula himself. Mm -hmm. Um, And we'll see this a few more times throughout the arc, but again, we're going to hit that beat is Ashley's a kid and, and her persona, the theater that she puts on is entirely constructed from the only resources she's had. Television. Um and, and she's she's constructed so much of who she is and, and how she relates to things through the things she's watched on TV because she's been alone for so long and that's the only real contact she has. And it might not be the best uh the best thing to base your whole your whole thing on, Ashley. Cause like Caligula totally gets assassinated for being a crazy person. Like that that's what happened, Ashley. Did you see the end of the documentary? <laughs>
0: Oh, but that won't happen to her, though. No, Scott. certainly not. Yeah. Um, so as they're driving, one of the kids uh, wants uh, asks Ashley if she wants to come over for dinner, and she dismisses the invitation out of hand without even thinking about it. Um, and, and one of the other kids asks her, what are you doing for food? And she thinks she was annoyed at the question, annoyed that her observation of the city was being interrupted, and annoyed that she that she hadn't been observing the city And that she'd been thinking about useless stuff. It was this kind of thing that dragged her down when she was in the zone.
1: Yeah. Um, Showing her resistance to people here is, I think, really important. And we we learn more about why the idea of eating dinner with other people is so foreign and uncomfortable with her. Um, But I think it's really funny. And like this thing, she's like, how dare you ask me things like, how do you consume sustenance to survive? <laughs> like it's, it's just right. like the basic questions that like no one would ever think of as, as problematic or, or annoying, but yeah. Ashley doesn't live a normal life.
0: Yeah. I mean, anything related to self care to her is, is, is almost like a weakness. Um, and, and she, she, all she has time for is in this moment, like playing the game, getting ahead you know, being powerful, scaring people. Um and, and you know, on, on that note, she she kind of can't wait to like awe these people. So she she breaks into this empty house, uh, and with an audience of one, she transforms into damsel of distress, stripping and annihilating the travel grime from her body, purging the dye from her hair, and then donning her black dress and wearing some scraps of material that her power leaves behind as a mask and as other decorations.
1: Yeah, in spite of myself, I found this really cool. Like, I know Ash is all about theatrics and theatrics worked on me here because I was like, oh, awesome. (laughs) But I I, I very much like this little wrinkle in her power, the idea that it doesn't just totally erase everything. Um, She describes it as it made things swell and burst into nothing and it made them wither. It decayed by making paint peel and wood fade and splinter. The passage of time halting time and the, the particularly dense things don't get completely destroyed. They leave by little bits, as you said, and little little remnants. And I think this serves like as both like just a logical like, hey, how can she carry around stuff if every time she uses her power stuff gets destroyed? It's like, oh, well, some stuff is made out of her stuff that was left over from destroying. So it's just like it's a, it's a very rational solution to that problem. But metaphorically, it's just. She is someone who annihilates things out of existence, but. Even so, she can't get rid of always th- all things. There's always a little bit, little bit left behind. Not always, but sometimes, there's a little bit left behind, and yeah, I think that's it's very poetic.
0: Yeah, I like that too. And this is something that's that's been you know in these ch- in these chapters up to this point, and it's going to continue uh, as a thread through it. But I think this is as good a time as any to point out that she's essentially disabled in the sense that um, she can't just like do she can't brush her teeth you know she can't use a phone yeah she she can't like reliably open doors um just she she can hardly do do anything that involves using her hands without risking destroying you know important you know things in her environment and and often does so as we see throughout the chapter or throughout the arc actually um i I just thought i pointed out now in in this moment that the, the whole narration of her character is absolutely filled with this um this caution and and just like severe severe limitation of of her options by her inability to use her hands
1: yeah i think that's a very good point her hands are not functional hands they're weapons and weapons only
0: yep uh so then we match cut from uh one of the uh youths ed denying her offer for some work to Kenzie ending her story with the, sh- with the same shake of her head um, in, the, uh, in the therapy group.
1: Beautiful. Um, beautiful magic cor-
0: I Yeah, I love that. So, of course, we don't actually see what Kenzie's story was, um, but we do see that Ashley, having heard the story, thinks that she understands her and that this is someone that she can relate to. Um, and Ashley tells Kenzie that there are some people who deserve to be alone, but Kenzie isn't that type. Um, but Kinsey, however, emphasizes that that the people that she wronged haven't forgiven her.
1: Yeah, um, obviously pointing to herself for the whole people who deserve to be alone thing. <laughs> I think that's, that's that's pretty, pretty surface level subtext. Um, that, that's what she kind of means there. Um, I think this is great because we've we've gone. We flashed into the future from Boston games. But like the, I think this this arc has basically three different timelines, right? There's. The present there's the past, but then there's also the near past um where we have everything post gold morning, mm-hmm. and so we've gone there, and we are seeing um the the first time the therapy group got together and and I think now we kind of understand why Ashley and Kenzie have grown this close bond to each other where uh where they rely on each other they lean on each other and and it's because you're right that that she understands kenzie almost immediately to a very a very specific degree Mm -hmm.
0: yeah it makes me even more curious to find out what's up with kenzie yeah um and i think this is pretty you know crucial to the flow of this whole of this whole arc or, or the the theme of it rather is is uh they're discussing you know change and and yamada says Change. Do you want to change? And, and rain answers. That's not such a hard question. Yeah, uh, which is which is perfect because we know rain so well. And, and he'd just be like, of course, like, like, uh, like duh. Yeah. And, and then and then, of course, Ashley was silent.
1: Oh, it's so good because everyone has an answer to this question except for Ashley. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kenzie says yes. Tristan says yes. Uh, Sveta says, you know, I'm doing pretty good, but I just want to make sure I don't lose this. Um, and Ashley stays silent. And I love that it's the, the reason for the silence is so good. And I, I love what it says at the end here. Like she asks two questions. Do you want to change? And if you do want to change, what do you think that change would look like? And she's like, I can't even begin to approach the second question because the first is so far beyond me. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's almost not it's, she's saying here. It's not that whether I want to change or not is irrelevant because I can't and i think that's really what she believes here in this moment like mm. i i do not have control to change there go my desire to do it is doesn't matter it's it, it's just totally irrelevant and mm. there's something really really tragic in that and i think it it goes back to the coin flipping that we talked about earlier that if if you are aware of the things you were doing are wrong and you want to make sure those things never happen again but your actions are determined by a, a seeming chance how how can how can you change
0: um that that's true but but i think you know the, the contrast between her and her alter ego at the end of this arc shows that maybe she has changed more than she you know thought that she ever could um, yeah. by the time we catch up to the present day
1: I I completely agree and I think that's the conceit of the arc is that mm. is that uh, if this is the way I am is if this is this is who my shard is pushing me to be if this is who my programming is pushing me to be how can I change it and the answer to that question is through tiny little steps through mm-hmm. tiny incremental things like that that's I think what when she stares her other self in the eyes at the end of this thing and, and and we see the stark difference between the two of them, that's the conclusion, is that it's just little, little tiny choices that stack up over time. And mm-hmm.
0: it's great. Exactly, exactly. And yeah, can't wait to get there. Um, so yeah, now we match cut through Ashley standing alone, walking to the bonfire moot, uh, which will be a recurring setting in these chapters. Um, uh, I think it's interesting that the... The imagery of this bonfire is the center of of eclipse, in other words it's like it's it's the idea of of fire and and light and being eclipsed um and you know moving into the light, moving away from the light, things like this oh, yeah. um, so uh at the at this moot we're introduced to a number of players, and Scott, there are gonna be so many new capes in these scenes, and I would just love to talk about each and every one. But unfortunately, this is the kind of thing that I'm going to hardcore gloss over so we can focus on, like, themes and shit like that. Um, Yeah, that's fine. But the main thing to point out, I think, so that we kind of know what we're talking about going forward is that we have one group, Blast Germ, which is led by Blasto and Rotten Apple, a.k.a. Fume Hood, our friend and Victoria's friend from uh, the the earlier arcs of the story. Um, And then another of the groups is the Clockwork Clockwork dogs led by Accord and uh, Detente.
1: Yeah, these are important ones. Um, there's a whole bunch of creepy, terrible people in the background. Orchard. Orchard. Yes. Gross. Yeah. gross. Um, yeah, but I think I, I guess I had forgotten that Fume Hood and Blasto had hung out in the past or maybe we didn't know that. I honestly don't remember, um, but it's kind of cool seeing Blasto again and seeing him with a friend. It, or,
0: I'm pretty sure it was mentioned um, in the story, but it was. Pretty, pretty transient, and, and I, I assumed just like a minor little nod. But yeah, it turns out that it mattered.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then we get a chord, our wonderful psychopath chord, and with a buddy, with a, yeah. a, a buddy, a mysterious yeah. guy who we don't don't know.
0: It it really amuses me how happy I was to get to spend time with the chord again.
1: Yeah, that's weird, right? I, you wouldn't think. You wouldn't think, but yeah. It's like oh, I missed you, buddy. I missed yeah. your your exhaustion by everyone else that just doesn't fall in fall in line to your ways, right. which you know are the correct ways.
0: It's funny, like it, it reminds me of of how like I just said that thing about how you kind of relate to Ashley, even if even if you've never had a life anything like hers. You kind mm-hmm. of relate to a too, because everyone everyone likes things a certain way sometimes. Sure, and knows the feeling of people who don't know how to uh, comply with your requirements. Mm-hmm. So anyway, yeah. um,
1: but I think the most important part about this scene is that Ashley chooses to stay out of the limelight. Um, mm-hmm. She sees the, the, the groups gathering around the fire and she decides to stay in the background, hover in the shadows while she's consolidating power. Um, and we see here that her goal throughout this whole thing, what she wants more than anything is respect is an audience is to be inside that central ring and, be to be treated as an equal
0: yep so then we move on into X. three, and the previous chapter essentially flows into this one the clockwork dogs are attempting to sketch out a compromise that the major players will agree to um but the less agreeable elements don't comply and we have uh chord saying please don't interrupt me all of this could devolve into petty squabbling so very easily let's keep this civilized cooperate and you have a way forward be stubborn and refuse, and you will have nothing. It's common sense. Common sense? Rotten Apple asked. I have a tattoo on my asshole. She does, Blasto said.
1: He ate that rotten apple. <laughs> All I can think of is how much an asshole tattoo would hurt. That would yeah, hurt no, so much. To I,
0: I, oh was my like, God. I, I was like, surely that's not a real thing. And then I was like, no, I'm sure that's a real thing. And no, I'm not going to look that up.
1: Ugh, that would hurt so bad. Oh, my yeah. God.
0: Yeah. Um, So, yes, throughout this conversation, Damsel is pretty chapped at being disregarded.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I, I didn't read it as her being chapped. I thought she was generally okay with being disregarded here because she felt like that was her decision. Like she chose to stay in the shadow. She chose to stay out of the limelight. So them disregarding her is actually like them making a terrible mistake. Like there's this moment where she says they hadn't even considered the ones who were in the background. They didn't think she was a threat. And she smiles and detente sees her smile and smiles back at her. But she says, oh, you're taking it the wrong way. I'm not happy to be here. I'm just happy that you're underestimating me.
0: I I, I guess I read it as like she's rankled whenever anyone doesn't fear her sufficiently. Um, and, and yeah, it, it works in her favor strategically but I still think she's annoyed by it. That's just kind of how I read her psychology.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's annoyance on some level, sure.
0: Yeah. So she walks to a nearby smaller campfire and she drums up some connections. She snubs one of the mercenary captains, but uh, seems to make headway with some of the unaffiliated youths. And we get this beat of uh, she's, she's thinking through the situation and thinks a feeling like falling. Join me now, she said. You'll be in a good position when I rise at the top.
1: Yeah, I really love the word usage here. Um, The the dichotomy between falling and being on the top. Uh, She's in this moment. She has a. um, A. um, a, Like her power flares and it scares people and she's like, oh, God, I'm going to lose it all. I'm going to lose it here. I'm going to fall. And then she immediately talks about going to the top. And I love it. Like this idea that she's constantly falling like she's like in any moment she could fall And the only way to keep moving forward in her mind is to just constantly be climbing, constantly be reaching upwards, just keep swimming. Mm -hmm. And the thing that strikes me about this and all the Boston Games stuff, actually, is just how worm it feels. And I think that's intentional. Um, We've jumped back into this pre-gold morning. We've jumped back into worm, the worm timeline almost. And we've kind of latched on to this tone of advancement and escalation and go, 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 go. And I think that's very intentional. And I think I think what this this arc does more than anything to me by its conclusion is really segment and divide the difference between the tone and the difference between the thir- the themes of Worm and Ward.
0: Yeah, it's almost like Ashley's past was you know th- the themes of the Ward story, which led to her grisly death, and now that she's been resurrected and given. A second chance, and you know, maybe even more than a second chance. Uh, she she has to grapple with you know how to grow from that, yeah. and uh, um, that's that's why I love that's why I love Ward so much. Mm-hmm. So then we match cut through the abstract query of how she's going to manage a difficult problem, I guess. Um, to Riley asking her. A similar question it takes us a few moments to realize that she's talking to Riley uh, aka Bonesaw for people who are less less up on things um, as th- as the medical tinker works on her hands closer to the present day but not quite caught up because uh, obviously Bonesaw is already sucked into the something um, and it says a thin plastic sheet was draped across her lap now with blood settling into the creases Her arms were short, ending in stumps of raw flesh at the ends. Instead of bones in the forearm, there were metal tubes extending a few inches past the flesh. Don't move the arms too much. You'll bleed more. And they get weird if I ask for too much blood. Oh, I have an idea.
1: (laughs) One of the things that never occurred to me, Matt, and I don't know why this never occurred to me. Because we knew it was Riley that was, like, building Ashley's hands. But I forgot that... I mean, I guess I knew I just never connected the dots. This is the same person that made her into the monster that is now trying to make her back into some uh, some semblance of a human being. And I, we're going to see that scene before the end of this arc. But I think it's just so strikingly poetic that that it's been the same person to do these two different things.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It, it's It's a very complex relationship. It was the person who seduced her into the situation in the first place, then this person who resurrected her and now the person who is, you know, and, and of course bone saw has had her own, uh, character shifts over that time Um, yeah. So, um, after Ashley asks why the ends of her metal arm stabby things are so sharp, Riley admits that she made the ends sharp to be used as weapons and says, old habits die hard. And, uh, Ashley responds proportionately by trying to silently (laughs) stab Riley in the neck.
1: I think it's really important that we see Ashley has absolutely no desire for her hands to be weapons there. Like, obviously, they are weapons. It's what her power comes through. But outside of that, the idea of metal attachments being sharp and being used as weapons is something she doesn't accept. And I love what she says here. I'm not your weapon. You're a weapon. We all are. I'm a weapon, but I belong to me. My triumphs are my own. My triumphs are my own. I like that. That's such an Ashley thing to say. And I think implicitly that means my failures are my own as well. Um, for all Ashley's flaws, she has a sense of responsibility and ownership for her actions, I, whether they're positive or negative.
0: Yeah. Um, and and this, this has highlighted for me something. It's just a, an interesting parallelism that uh, at this point in time anyway, Ashley had... Sharp, um, stabby things hidden inside her, her robot arms, which is exactly like what Rain did to his robot arms. Yeah. Um. Of course, interesting. Ashley never used hers. It's just a. There's, there's a lot of interesting like play there in the whole like Rain is an arms tinker thing that I couldn't help but think about a lot, but we didn't, we didn't really go there in this chapter too much or in yeah, this arc.
1: And you have to wonder what would have happened. Ashley's arm gets damaged in that fight um Mm -hmm. would she have if that sharp blade was still in there would she have ended up using it
0: right yeah i don't know i don't know um and then there's this bit that i kind of want to freak out about for a while where ashley says we're not friends give me working hands and powers and maybe we can get there that won't be soon and like on the one hand it's like yeah she's being you know all hard-ass about everything but on, on the other hand the phrasing of that is Maybe someday we could be friends. It's conceivable to Ashley (laughs) that someday that she and Bonesaw could be friends. And I think that says a lot about her and about her relationship with absolution and forgiveness and all the stuff we've been talking about that she it's actually on the table that she would be friends with this person.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. This is so huge. And the thing that I love the most about this is how Ashley's situation and Ashley's approach to this thing is so distinct from Rain's whole deal. Like, we're exploring these ideas of recovery and absolution and forgiveness, but we're not, like, hitting the same beats, but with different characters. Like, each new character we dive in deep to is exploring, like, a different facet of this. Like, Rain did this horrible thing and he sought out forgiveness. He wanted redemption. Ashley became a horrible thing and she doesn't really want... Forgiveness. She doesn't think she deserves forgiveness. Redemption is almost meaningless to her. She just wants a tomorrow that's better than today. And I think that is like, I think that's what keeps this story moving. Like, we're not just circling around to the same beat. Like, it's very easy to say this story is about redemption and then just exploring redemption over and over again we're exploring it from different angles from different perspectives from different facets and i think it's gonna be really cool to see how we do that as we move through each of the characters on this team um ultimately assumingly getting to our main character victoria um but it's it's so great
0: yeah yeah definitely like ashley and rain are on completely different trajectories and have completely different concerns and there's not even in fact like i almost kind of did a mental double take where i was like well, yeah, in a sense, they're on similar journeys, but not really. <laughs> well, I mean, they uh, could
1: they could have a, I mean, the, the hope is that they have a, a similar endpoint, which is mm-hmm. recovery, right? Like, yeah, like and but yeah, they're going to take completely different ways to get there because they want what they want out of the idea of recovery is unique to themselves. And yeah. I I think we're going to see that. To each and every one of these characters.
0: Yeah, they each have their own in individual complex problems that are wholly theirs.
1: Yeah. The other part we learn here is that Ashley has retained the memories of Bonesaw's failed experiments with her. Um she remembers the tea party they had and the thing that happened after the tea party. Gets to uh-huh. relive all that stuff. That's fun.
0: Yeah. That's that's not something I expected to happen when we no. saw all that tea party back in Worm.
1: <laughs> no, definitely not. Um, and I wonder, like, I think in this moment, you're almost maybe supposed to think m- maybe it was Riley that did this, like Bonesaw and her fucked upness put these memories back into her head. Um, I think we learn a little bit later that it's not necessarily true, but mm-hmm. it's like yeah. at the moment, I'm like, man, f- fuck you, Bonesaw. Jesus. <laughs>
0: yeah, at this point in the story, you're not sure what's going on but Mm -hmm. i think by the end of the arc you have some at least some theories yeah so now amy shows up to check riley's work and before anything really comes of that we cut back to boston Uh, ashley walks into traffic and blows apart an 18-wheeler creating a disturbance for apparently the sole purpose of kicking the ant's nest she then fends off some sold-out capes making her escape
1: I like in these moments we learn a little bit more about how Ashley's power works, that she's learned certain patterns and routines and, and gestures that produce similar effects, but no gesture ever works the same way twice. Um, and I think it's this wonderful metaphor, like anything with Ashley's hands, it's a wonderful metaphor for her as a whole, that she's this person who spent a long time alone trying to figure herself herself out. She generally understands how to get through the day how to 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 lessen her risk as much as possible but it's like trying to wrangle a panicked animal you're never sure what thing you do is going to set it off and that's kind of how she has to live her life that's mm-hmm. sad
0: yeah yeah well said um so um a- as she's evading soldat edict catches her uh using her compulsion to keep her in place
1: I i i love this <laughs> I love how immediate and visceral her reaction to Edict is because we know through the bits of Edict's chapter um, that we saw that they don't really consider Damsel a threat. Um, just just a person that needs to be checked on occasionally and like pushed and and shoved away from trouble. But Ashley responds to her if she's her biggest nemesis, like th- that this is the person that I can't stand the most. And it's because Edict represents something to her that she can't admit. She represents weakness and more specifically control edict and enlisted have basically been able to control and limit damsel and i think actually when we we learn both their powers they kind of tie perfectly into this idea of of limiting and control and boxing in um she's and and she's failed around them right like she was running around for three years in their city and they basically with one or two exceptions kept her mostly out of trouble and she's never been able to like climb in that place And so she's she's left. She's here to try something new to succeed on a level that's higher than she ever has before. And here are these old people come and they're here to drag her back down to mediocrity, to drag her back down to meaninglessness.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, for them, like what they are to her is is worse than being like people who are trying to kill her. They're people who infantilize her and talk down to her and treat her as if she's not dangerous and and make her feel weak, and and she hates that more than, you know, she would hate being defeated by a strong opponent, I suspect. Right. Um, yeah, so some of her new unpowered cronies show up to back her up. It's Bar, Jay, and Angel, characters who will stick around pretty much from this point on.
1: Yeah, and I like that this is, like many, every other time she's encountered Edict before in her hometown... This is kind of probably the part where it all falls apart for her. But here is this is different. She's she's got she's got people this time. She's a loner. Usually Um, she rarely works with other people. But as much as she scoffs about how she should be alone, that she's stronger than others. She she is going to a lone wolf. um, She is stronger with other people, too. And she uses their strength here to escape from this moment.
0: Yeah, yeah, good point. Um, And she doesn't really acknowledge that. No. Um, So then she disobeys Edict's order, causing pain and partial loss of vision in one eye. So it's a cool example of of how Edict has like a, you know, compulsion power, which we've seen a few examples of that now. Mm -hmm. But the the twist is that you can disobey it. It just costs you something.
1: It's great. And I think I think the the smart thing to do here would be to frame Edict and list as kind of parental figures for Ashley. And I think when you do that, they it, everything kind of slots in very nicely because they they give her independence. They they try to let her find her o- own way, but they're always there to like swoop in if like oh, you've gone too far this time, and they kind of pull her back before she gets into too much trouble, or at least they try to. And if we look at them as parental figures in this way, Edict's power is like the literal equivalent of your mom saying, "You don't have to listen to me, but if you don't, there will be consequences." Uh-huh. And I think it just, it's with, with that, with that image in mind, I, I love it so much.
0: Yeah. And enlicit and is like the physical manifestation of boundaries. Exactly. Exactly. But that's wonderful. Thanks for pointing that out. Uh, all right. Uh, chapter X dot four in Boston. Later on, damsel wakes up thinking about how sleep always carries a risk of resetting her mind or her power in an undesirable way
1: sure keep getting a lot of beats about sleep and dreams in this book, huh, Matt? I mm-hmm. wonder if there's something to this.
0: Uh, I don't know. <laughs> so she looks around eyeing some of the blast germ capes in the vicinity, uh, who later turn out to be blasto creations. Jay shows up to her meeting, uh, with her, uh, w- with, um, with some sandwiches and she begins to grudgingly respect him. Uh, he, overtly subordinates himself to her and calls her ma'am which she she likes
1: Mm -hmm. yeah he certainly got like her ideal minion image pegged to a t here it's like almost as if he's a wait never mind (laughs) (laughs) oh i love so so in this beat though we get this idea of of food and how much she doesn't like food. So we've opened chapter 4 talking about how much she hates sleeping and she hates eating because they're they they're such a threat to her. They're such a risk to her. And these are two things that like basically every single human being has to do. Like like everyone, like the, the universals of mankind is we got to sleep and we got to eat. And to her those basic human things are risky and and almost not worth the risk i love what she says like eating in front of people is a roll of the dice and a loss meant embarrassment a win meant normal and it's so it's so tragic that these two things that like are just part of being a living creature are are so dangerous to her
0: yeah um yeah i i agree it's it's that that's part of the stuff that she she's almost like trying to look away from in her in her in her mind you know just it, it, yeah. it's it's like a constant sore spot and she hates it when it's brought up to her as we pointed out before um, yeah so um, <laughs> there's this there's this moment where uh, someone compliments her name um, and she she kind of criticizes that she says uh, clockwork dogs why not cogs of war um, and Barr says they have names that mean peace and cooperation um, and I just love this. You know, repartee. That's yeah. all I have to say about that.
1: You burnt, Ashley. Yep. Um, I mean, and I wonder, and maybe this is me t- reading too much into it, there's a chance here that Ashley just doesn't know what accord and detente mean. Yeah. Like, she's not an educated person, right? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. like, I mean, she sees this and immediately says, Why would you not have a name that encourages violence and power and co- the conquering nature? And it's like, the response is, well, it's because they want to do it through another way. Look at their names, and she right. doesn't know what those words mean, right, unless she watched a documentary that defined what detente meant, she yeah. doesn't really understand
0: yeah, right, which i mean the, the I think the ultimate irony is that Accord is a bloodthirsty person, but uh yeah, um at least as long as you're not cooperating with him, he is
1: sure, yeah, yeah. Um,
0: so she she uh, she talks over the powers and situations of the, of the other villain groups in the city bar continually rubs damsel the wrong way. And she repeatedly repeatedly thinks of making an example of him uh, with apparent sincerity, like in her inner monologue. But if I'm not mistaken, she's never actually harmed anyone with her power since her trigger event. Right.
1: Yeah. As far as we know. Yeah, you're, you're right. Which is a really interesting wrinkle in this whole thing. Um, I was thinking back. We only saw Damsel in Worm as the Slaughterhouse Nine member. So I, I always kind of assumed that she just like regularly used her power on people and the, the blasting her power to move around the battlefield in cool ways was like a, a reinvention of post-Gold Morning Ashley as an attempt to like use her power in heroic, non-destructive ways. But no, we see that that was how she used her power from the beginning, that that's, that's just how she used it at first. And, and eventually it was it was, she was pushed across the line to start using it on people. Um, and that's, that, that is a really interesting thing. And I think it kind of ties into maybe why her shard is such an asshole to her because it probably would like her shard is almost a contradiction, right? Like it, it, it it feeds her with this lust for power and an advancement, but at the same time it, it revels in chaos, which are two things that, like advancing and chaos are two things that don't really work well together. as we we kind of see in herself when she kind of implodes, um, this whole thing at the end of it. And I, I, and I wonder if, if it's like the constant wrestling with the idea that you're using your power to like ninja around the battlefield. Why don't you like fucking blow up a human Mm -hmm. do that?
0: Yeah. Um, I I think, I think in, in worm actually, when, when dragon, um and defiant are hunting the nine there's actually a mention of like dragon knows everything so so she knows who damsel of distress is and, and even in that scene she mentions her in in kind of a a pitying way um mm-hmm. as like someone who might be vulnerable like a a young a young girl living alone who might be vulnerable or something along those lines um, and it it's just kind of interesting that 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 perspective on who damsel of distress is was actually present even even back then yeah that's true um and and yeah like like dragon wouldn't have that perspective if she was the kind of person who tore off limbs regularly
1: yeah i think that makes sense so at
0: this at this point jay gives her practical advice and when she asks why he's here he insists that he's in it for the money sure jan (laughs) uh and she thinks about how the chaos is like fuel for her particular skill set
1: yeah, that's that's the thing we were just talking about. Chaos fuels her. And then I think that's true. But chaos annihilates everything, mm-hmm. <laughs> not not just like the things you want it to. Yeah, um, like Ashley is fueled by that chaos, but she wants to control and direct it. And it doesn't chaos doesn't really work like that.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, I not to make too many Taylor comparisons, but it's it's like if it's like if Taylor didn't have any degree of like self control or leadership abilities basically um but still had the just like relentless need to push things uh that would kind of end up like this i think yeah yeah but this is i mean ashley's worse than taylor I'm, i you know how much i like to be unfair to taylor but oh yeah it's like our job yeah but but ashley is definitely like just explicitly doesn't have the basic skill set needed to be a, a warlord like ever she just doesn't have the tools so on
1: on the other hand Ashley never shot a baby in the head well so many angry comments (laughs) it's gonna be like so many well actually it's coming
0: yeah 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 definitely Um, (laughs) can't wait um yeah so um she thinks to herself um she's kind of like talking through the situation and and asking herself like that she was doing this with no other powers on her side against so many enemies. Not a concern, she told herself, a cold sort of excitement setting up shop in her chest as she worked to banish the doubts. Not a concern. Everything has been preparing uh, preparation for this, even the fact that I've been completely alone for three years.
1: Ah, oh, man, I love how Wildbow makes the truth behind all this posturing and performance kind of leak through. And it's not like it's a very, it's a very like sly way, right? Like Ashley's terrified here, just like we saw back in chapter seven point four when she's pretending that prison's gonna go perfect and she's totally calm and fine with it, and Victoria sees right through it. Um, she's scared and that fear is leaking through and all she can do with it is explain it away. All she can do is, is channel it into success and, and channel the fear she has and the doubt she has and the misery she has for her life into this is, it was preparation for this. If, if this succeeds, all that other stuff will be worth it. All that other stuff I've gone through will be worth it. But that's only if she succeeds, right? She's kind of, she's kind of literally putting all her eggs in one basket here.
0: Yeah, right. It's like she's she's deferring to tomorrow constantly. Um and ju- just hoping that like the next thing will be the thing that kind of pays off, yeah. you know. I just
1: said literally putting all her eggs in one basket. She's not she's not actually putting any eggs in any baskets. You,
0: you forget about the egg scene that's oh, coming up. Yeah,
1: that's yeah. yeah that,
0: right. It's the egg scene. Yeah. Um I mean, we did learn about Victoria's relationship with eggs. Anyway, <laughs> um so we cut to a recess from Ashley's, uh, pre-trial hearing, and it apparently hasn't been going well, uh, which agitates the others more than it does Ashley, or maybe it'd be more precise to say that she's agitated, but she knows well enough to just not like get into it and, and ask them to stop talking about it. She's at this point, you know, in the present day, she's aware of what will set her off and she just steers away from it, uh, which is a complete contrast to the Ashley that we just left
1: yeah, you're you're absolutely right that that is that is a really stark comparison. Especially if you put these two scenes in direct contrast, right? Moments before Ashley is is thinking to herself about the, the fact that she's fueled by chaos and she welcomes that fuel. This actually Ashley acknowledges that she's fueled by chaos and says, "Uh-uh, I don't want that." Yeah. And and this is the part where you start to kind of see a hole in her whole coin flip philosophy, like I'm sure Ashley would probably justify this away as oh well this time i flipped the coin and the answer that didn't escalate things came up good lucky for me but it's like no ashley i think i think you you got to give yourself a little more credit in the fact that you are different that that you are much more aware and much more in control of yourself than that
0: yeah i mean you get a sufficient degree of self-awareness on a problem like that and it can just kind of stop being a problem Um, right realizing being vague here but like that's kind of how the mind works like just self-awareness is a superpower
1: yeah well it's like to to further the coin flip metaphor um you only have to flip a coin when you need to decide between two outcomes and if you've already recognized that outcome b is not something that you want then maybe you don't there's no decision making there so there's no coin flipping
0: yeah yeah good point exactly so, um, Kinsey at this point drops that she's been making a camera that takes pictures of the past. Cool. Great. Uh, and apparently she ripped off the speedrunners to accomplish this.
1: Yeah. And it's only 25 pounds and she's going to get it smaller. Yeah. That's just, it's a fun joke book. I'm just scared now. Yeah. It's really scary. Yeah. Like, can you imagine Like, Kenzie can't help but look at and and study and dive into things. Can you imagine with a past camera?
0: Yeah. No, I don't even have to actually catch the thing that happened. I can just know that something happened and come look back in time at it. Dear God. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, Then Victoria does this without even saying anything. She just walks up. Victoria took the empty space on the bench beside Ashley. She showed her her phone. It was a picture of Presley, hair dyed in an inconsistent color that was more gray-white than pure white. The freckles reminded her of Amy, which would have been tricky a tricky topic to raise. It reminded her of Jay, a memory from a past life, trickier still to bring up or raise.
1: Oh my god. <laughs> Let's talk about this forever. Yeah. Um, this, so Presley has become m- a much more important player in this whole thing than I ever thought she would when we were sitting there talking about that train scene and Victoria brings her up like any time she thinks Ashley needs to, to to some some encouragement like look this is a person that looks up to you this is a person that respects you and she does and Ashley appreciates that on some level but there's something that Victoria doesn't know she doesn't know about Jay and how Presley reminds her Of Jay this person that we'll see is not necessarily a great memory and I like that we're connecting Presley to Amy and Jay these two people from both of these characters pasts who um they have difficulty remembering and thinking about and and are not people that we would say they draw strength from and Victoria is not aware of this at all but I think it connects them in in a way
0: yeah um Very interesting. Um, I I Somehow, I don't know how I just noticed this fact, but the fact that the Freckles remind her of Amy, um, the Freckles reminded Victoria of Amy too. Yep. Back in the train scene. Mm -hmm. Um, And and that was actually kind of what was freaking her out about it, and she was having some trouble getting a handle on it. I also want to draw attention to the language of, it it reminded her of Jay, a memory from a past life. And I don't mean to be too literal, but... It, this is a bit of an indication that that Ashley may actually view that as not her, you know, like like at some level of detachment from that memory. It's 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 not Jay, the guy who she had this complicated relationship. It's Jay, a memory from a past life, you know. Yeah, yeah,
1: um, that's there's true. There's a distance because, there. Yeah, I mean that that is a phrase that in every other story would would be not be used literally (laughs) it would be um yeah that was before i changed my past life this is literally her past life this was a life that is an entirely different life in the past yeah yeah
0: yeah i I don't know how how much it it just raises this question of how much does she identify with these memories Mm -hmm. and some of them are literally not hers so it's an open question
1: that is true yeah
0: So yeah, we cut to Jay driving Ashley around as she topples buildings in blasterm's territory, uh, then invades their headquarters. She digs her way down to Blasto's laboratory and skirmishes with Rotten Apple. She realizes that the blasterm allied capes are actually just homunculi.
1: I love her reaction to this, because the first thing she does when she realizes that is says, they cheated. Um, Still kind of just a game to her, right? Like, like they... I'm having such a difficult time recruiting people. Recruiting people is central to my strategy to win. They just faked it. They didn't recruit anyone. They just grew them. They cheated. It's not fair. And I think that's such an interesting look into Ashley's whole psyche throughout this whole thing. They cheated.
0: Yeah, yeah, I love that too. Uh she accidentally kills one of the kind of growing vat creatures, and she's kind of like inwardly secretly relieved that it wasn't a actual person <laughs> yeah um, she she makes a deal with Rotten apple to take some of their money in exchange for letting her keep death Chester and uh her not telling the others that their capes are fake
1: yeah so so all in all, though a win they won they had this plan, they executed it, and they won. Um, I do love the beat about her accidentally killing him, her or like killing the, the homunculus, because she plays it off immediately as if she meant to do it, right? She's like walking up to the tank and her power goes off and it's dead, and she like plays it off as, yeah, that's what I wanted to do. Right. Um, and just live it live it on the edge constantly.
0: Yeah. I love how the power is portrayed like visually as, as like lancing out and like almost surgically yeah. killing this thing. Like it's times like that, that you kind of feel like it has a mind of its own and it's going out of its way to, to, to do things like this. Yeah. Um, so later damsel sits with her recruits who are enjoying some downtime doing a who would win uh arms master versus bastion argument. Um, and uh, I'm going to call back to this later, but I want to just drop it now that, the Ashley says, Arms Master has discipline. He has more tools. Um, but then, of course, she removes herself from this celebratory environment, effectively overwhelmed by the attention and appreciation. Um, and then Jay joins her outside and uh, puts the moves on her.
1: Yeah, you go Jay. Um, Putting Jay aside for a bit, <laughs> I want to talk about this idea of the pressure of success on her. She's just had the most successful night of her Cape career. Every other time she's tried this, every time she's planned this, she's failed. Something has gone wrong every single time. But not this time. She's recruited people. She planned an operation. It worked. They got a bunch of money. Um, they kind of seized control of this territory. Blast gem has been has been at least dealt with for now her minions are now respecting her like never before. She almost describes it as if like a religious experience, like they're deifying her to a certain level. That's exactly what she wanted, but she can't be happy with that because like she's always said before, this isn't a good day. This is the day that you dread the bad day. And, and I think it's because at the end of the day, Ashley's chasing her wants the success, respect, power. These are the things she wants, but they're not the things that she needs. And it's because underneath all this is just a scared. Like she's still just that scared 13 year old girl waiting for that inevitable failure. And she says in this moment, I felt it felt like everything she could do was the wrong thing. That every choice before her is the wrong choice, no matter what. And Oh, man, it's starting to get dark, Matt.
0: Yeah, yeah, precisely. I mean, what what she's getting here, exactly what she's been wanting, this kind of like adoration, and she can't handle it. It like freaks her out and she has to leave. And, you know, I mean, she doesn't have the self-awareness and kind of reflection to be like, well, then why am I on this path? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Success on
1: this path makes me as miserable as failure on this path. (laughs) Why am I doing this?
0: Yeah. I mean, we all do that to some degree, though. So. Oh, sure.
1: Oh, sure. I'm not like, I'm not like yeah. attacking her for it. I'm well, just.
0: Yeah. I mean, this is one of the things that's very relatable is that we all have have things like this where we. I mean, that's it's the human nature. It's the, the conflict between <laughs> wanting what's bad for us and, and not not having the wisdom to reflect on that. So we yeah. move on into X.5 and uh, Damsel and her gang walk through a house that Jay has found and wants Damsel to rent as a headquarters. Angel and Navarre go swimming in the pool on the property. And I, I like this uh, um, Damsel's watching them out the window and thinking to herself, She was a, there was a side of her that wanted to snap at them, but Angel had done fine so far. If Angel was happy, Ashley could be happy for her. She has seen enough people of her age group while growing up and watching television to know that sometimes they acted this way. And it's just, Ashley is so damn complicated. Like like you just said, she's this scared little girl entirely educated by television who nonetheless is dominated by these violent, paranoid controlling impulses. And she wants personal connection and recognition, but getting any is overwhelming. And like the closest thing to a, To like normal human thing here is her like like she 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 likes Angel as a person and is able to just like watch her swim and just be like, yeah, I I can I can appreciate that she's having a fun time and not mess it up for her.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like we said last chapter, everything she could do was the wrong thing. And it's so it's so hard. It's so hard to read here. And I think we have just crossed the halfway point of this arc. And Amy has a uh, sorry, Ashley has officially climbed as high as she's going to go um, here in this opening chapter. She admits that she's no longer in the zone, that that zone we were talking about at the start of this. She's lost it. She's no longer in it. Um, and, and the other side of her is coming out. The one that is not laser focused, confident and dangerous all at once. Uh, that that part in the zone part is gone. And, and this is the start of her fall. And it here we go. <laughs> here we go.
0: Yep. So she decides that she won't rent the building for now. And next, Jay shows her some clothes that he has bought for her. We begin to see how complex their relationship has become, even at this relatively early point.
1: Yeah, it's really, really complicated. He's he's really slotted himself into that number two position. Um, She'll call him a squire later on. But I, I, I see here that as much as Ashley tries to deny it, there's there's a reciprocated feeling there, like she, Jay likes her, and she reciprocates that feeling on some level, and that's only going to get stronger as we go.
0: Yeah, um, I think there's there's plenty of moments to talk about this, and and I think I'll we'll wait till till a little bit later. Sure. Um, yeah. So it, it appears that her gang has adopted a Clockwork Orange uh, style of costuming, apparently, and and I love this. You know, you know, Scott, I once dressed as a a droog for Halloween, Um, but uh, nobody got the reference imbeciles.
1: I'm just a little concerned that you watched or read Clockwork Orange and said, yes, this is what I want to be. It's really Uh, upsetting, Matt.
0: Well, I mean, it's Halloween, right? You're supposed to be scary. Sure. And also, I lied. My my professor did recognize my costume. (laughs) Wait, you went to...
1: Wait, this was as an adult?
0: Yes, of course.
1: Wait, what were you dressed up in a Halloween costume for? What you know, are you just doing? Like
0: a departmental Halloween party where okay. I got to wear a jock strap outside of my pants. Sweet. Yeah.
1: It's like Quail Man.
0: Wouldn't you? If you could get away with it?
1: Probably not.
0: Well, that's where we're different, Scott. Um, so as they leave, one of the underlings makes a comment about Jay being uh, Ashley's bitch. And this enrages Ashley um quite severely. The gang has the good sense to look terrified, which calms her down
1: yeah but but we're seeing cracks in in her persona here, right? I mean, I think that's what this whole beginning part of this this chapter does is kind of show as things start to fall apart and I think there's it's not an accident that, as her relationship with Jay is changing and possibly growing everything else around her is falling apart. Um, and it's, she says it's right there. She can almost grasp it, but it's, it's starting to slip through her fingers and it's almost as if she's going to like blame a person. Like if one thing is getting stronger while the other thing is collapsing. And maybe there's going to be some undue blame there possibly.
0: I, I don't know. I guess we'll see that something like this is being set up. <laughs> Um, so we jump forward again, uh, sort of match cutting through through Angel um, smiling at her uh, to Angel uh, punching Lady Photon in the face. Yay! Um, yay! I just wanted to take a moment because I, I I forget things, um, and it's I, I assume people might like to be reminded of things as well that sure. Lady Photon is Crystal's mom, and she died in Gold Morning while being controlled by Taylor. So I kind of forgot several of those discrete facts and how they related to each other. Um, and here's uh here's Ashley's friend uh Angel punching her in the face and then <laughs> Ashley proceeds to basically single-handedly fight the entirety of New Wave, including a standoff with Brandish.
1: Yay! Um we also get a couple people we've never really seen before. Um we get Light Star and Floor. Um These are two members of New Wave. I don't think we've ever seen them in action. I think Lightstar is Uncle Mike, who we saw at the barbecue, right? I think Um, I should confirm that before I wrote that down. But uh, Floor, for people that don't know, is. An old member of New Wave who was killed in her civilian identity after New Wave unmasked themselves. And that caused Lightstar to say, fuck this place. I'm out. Um, So, you know, you know, be. Happy to see these guys, but also sad that you know their future. And that's not good. There's a yeah. lot of a lot of depressing things in the future for everyone in the scene right now.
0: It's kind of impressive how much backstory like weaving together was accomplished throughout Eclipse without it ever feeling like fanservicey, you know what I mean? Like at at no point did it even begin to feel that way. But I'm like, when when you reflect on it, you're like, wow, we saw we saw a Blasto, we saw a cord, we saw a uh, new wave, um, probably, you know, other people. I'm, you know, we we saw the slaughterhouse nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, just just kind of noticing that in my brain right now. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Um, so this delightful dialogue here, damsel of distress, Brandish said, "This thing, you and I talking, trying to find something profound to say, mutual therapy during the pause in the battlefield." We're not going to do that. Thinking aloud, Dantel said, That's always how it is. Sorry, but I had my fill of talking about my problems a long, long time ago, and I'm not going to talk about or shoulder yours.
1: Oh, Carol. Um, This actually makes me like the Carol bit we get in 7.4 even more. Mm -hmm. Um, As I think a couple people pointed out in last week's Reddit thread, one of the big distinctions between... Carol we saw in that chapter and Carol we've seen in the rest of Ward so far is that she was wearing a costume Um, that was Brandish, not Carol. And Brandish seemed way better at this whole mothering thing than her civilian counterpart did. But then here in this chapter, we see Brandish as well. We see a past version of Brandish, a Brandish that completely dismisses any of Ashley's problems that that refuses to see the issues that might have been driving her to this person that, that the, the idea of talking through your problems or shouldering people's problems is something that she's like, no, fuck that. This is a very, very different Carol.
0: Yeah. Um, sorry. I was just noticing that I think this long, long um, time, long, long time um, um, verbiage has been used um and recurrently by Damsel. And I think maybe she got this from, um, from Brandish. I don't know. It's interesting. I did, huh. I, I, I can't prove that right now, but I did a quick control F and I think it does pop up a few times. Anyway. Um, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm, I agree with you. It's awesome to see this, this clear change in Brandish and in Carol. And there's so much to dig into there. I think we'll get more chances in later arcs to do that though. So, We'll uh, move on from here. So, so Ashley is bailed out by some of her hirelings and she fires a parting shot at Brandish who condenses into her durable sphere form, which probably saves her from death, if only by making her a smaller target.
1: Yeah, I think it, it definitely does. Um, Just want to point out here that once again, Ashley is saved by the people that she surrounded herself with for like the second time in the Boston games, mm-hmm. where if she was truly alone, this she probably would have just this would have been it. Um. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is the first time I think we've seen Ashley reach out with the intent to kill someone or not Mm -hmm. the intent, as she says, not the intent the willingness to kill. And that's definitely crossing a line. And and I think she's she's chasing that idea a little bit here, because after she crosses that line. She says she temporarily gets back into her, to her zone again. She decides that the decision to try to kill Brandish was the right one. She says this was the right decision, and she gets rewarded for it. Um, it says the energy and restlessness she'd missed was back. It had been with her as she stepped off the bus. It had helped propel her forward and she, as she made her initial moves in Boston. This was closer to the feeling she had on the bus but it was a darker feeling. So it's almost as if she crosses that line. She she decides that for the first time she's willing to take a life and she's rewarded by her shard for it by, by a temporary trip back to that zone. But it's not the same thing. It's kind of like chasing a high, right? Like it's, it's not the same as the first time it was. There's, there's something different about it, something darker in this case. And I think that's going to lead her down this path that ends with, Oh, well, we'll get there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I didn't make the explicit connection that it was, this This new willingness to kill that sort of gave her the the shot in the arm um but uh, that, that that I like that so then yeah, then we cut to Jay taking care of her wounds, and we understand even more of their relationship and his specific role, and like you said before, basically he's her squire, uh, but he's also super aroused by being her squire <laughs> um and they're they're both kind of getting different things out of this, but also maybe just like obverse faces of the same coin. And, and then there's maybe a second level to it. What do you think?
1: Yeah. um, I think this is really interesting because in this chapter we, we have two things like throughout this chapter, we've had two things we've had. Jay and her, growing relationship and we've had her growing struggle with the darkness and the zone and these kind of things and and building this power and and putting forth this image and i think in 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 the end of this section we have right before this she decided that she was willing to kill someone if it meant not if it meant continuing to go forward um, and was rewarded with with that with back in the zone, um, but a, a dark version of that. And then here she has Jay, the, the guy that's really into her, that that person that is serving her. And then we'll, we'll see later that that she refers to him as her hands and his serving her and his helping her makes her feel more human than she had in a long, long time. And which you're right, there's that long, long time beat. I don't know if that's intentional or not, but that does is literally what Carol just said to her. But mm-hmm. um, it, it almost seems like this two parts of her are I- incongruous. Like it, there's the one side of her that is chasing this more dark, more monstrous, more destructive, um, the shard side of her. And the, there's the other side that's being pulled kind of more human. That's it's being by Jay's assistance. Um, f- is feeling more human, feeling more like a person than she has ever. And I think this is the, kind of the push and pull of what's happening to Ashley in this moment. And, uh, it, something's going to break eventually. And I yeah. think that's, that's kind of what, kind of what the story is heading us towards.
0: Right. It's heading us toward, uh, Jay pulling her out of, uh, out of her terrible relationship with his shard and then running off together. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's what you were, um, So, and here's the best match cut uh, right here, where, like you just said, she's thinking of Jay, and she thinks she had hands again, they just weren't her own. And then, of course, cuts to, she rubbed her fingertips up and down the skirt portion of her dress, testing the sensations. The hands weren't new, but there were still times they didn't feel like hers, especially when her appointments with Riley concluded.
1: I completely agree that's my favorite one, too. I love that I was just I was flabbergasted by that like how how it handles the cut um how it thematically ties into in both situations they're not her hands, yeah, but they are it's oh it's so good
0: yeah i mean i didn't even need to read the second sentence to understand like oh that's great we're getting yeah. these are the fake hands, and that's yeah. the thing we're doing it. yes, win mm-hmm. um. <laughs> So, yeah, in the current timeline, she's meeting with some scientists who bring in Edict and it becomes clear uh, that the bit of Edict's POV in X.1 was actually something that Ashley was remembering uh, and that her shard is supplying her with Edict's memories.
1: Yeah, we've already talked about this for a bit, but I I, I do think this reveal works really well and kind of works to recontextualize not just the scene with Edict, but but how the whole chapter is working. Um, We're starting to realize as we go through it that, yeah, these are all memories coming from her and um, it doesn't matter whether they're her memories or not. And it kind of it kind of, as we said at the very beginning, forces us to think of the Ashley memories as maybe not memories in the traditional sense. Like you said, like if, if she's remembering things from Edict that aren't her memories are the things she's remembering from this Ashley, her memories or are those that Ashley's memories that 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 other life that she mm-hmm. lived.
0: Yeah. I mean, all kinds of interesting questions about identity here that I'm yeah. sure we'll be talking about forever. Yep. So moving on into, uh, X dot six damsel on impulse uses her power to blast herself up the side of a building to get a look at the source of a rumble in a distance. She kind of chaotically, you know, bounces up the face of this building, like constantly on the verge of falling Um, And then when she finally reaches the top, she sees an enormous four story monster wading into the water.
1: Yeah, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but the writing that describes her ascent of this building is fantastic. The the way it, it in this one action manages to convey her entire emotional state. Right now that she's like desperately scrambling, cl- desperately climbing upwards and doing it in the most reckless, haphazard way where she's just like a couple times almost just falls and loses it all. It's it's so good. Like, yeah. it's, it's so funny. We like we encapsulate her entire mindset in just a climb to the top of a building.
0: Yeah, and then when she puts it in context later, she's like, she couldn't quite remember the thought process that had led to her deciding to do that, yeah. which is exactly how she does everything.
1: Exactly, yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um, so I just, I love the monster. Uh, the spotlight of the helicopter illuminated the source of the rumbling a ways off to the north past the water. It was taller than some four-story buildings, hunchbacked, without much of a head. It walked on two legs, using one of its arms when its balance failed and it tipped too far forward. Its other arm wasn't the kind that supported weight, consisting of a morass of tentacles. Um, I don't know. I just was was so like I, I was like smiling, reading the giant giant monster on the scene.
1: Yeah, it's great, and also everyone's reaction to it when she climbs back down. She's like, yeah. "What is it? It's a giant monster? Yeah. Giant monster? Don't worry about it. Wait, wait, wait! Giant monster! <laughs> yeah, that's really great. Yes. I, I think I think one of the the low key great things about this arc is. As the relationship between Ashley and her minions improves, how the 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 dialogue and the interplay between them improves to match it.
0: Yeah, that's one thing. Like that, sh- she will say her typical damselish things to them, and they'll sort of like smile, not condescendingly, but like they get they're on the wavelength. Yeah, like They're not scared of her, but neither are they. Are they are they looking down at her? And and I think that's that's a fun. It's fun that things develop that way, at least for a while before they, you know, collapse. Yep. So below her group plus the mercenary M- Mero uh, raid a warehouse of electronics. J has some ideas regarding how to sell the stolen goods.
1: Yeah, interesting that she's now using marrow, even though she like consciously decided not to go with him earlier on in the arc. Now, maybe she's getting a little a little desperate. Maybe.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Maybe so.
1: I, I do like the beat where it, it it appears that, like, Jay has plans on how to offload these goods, which makes you kind of believe that this entire plan was his, which I think is a way to kind of show how her respect for him is growing, that she's letting him call shots and things and maybe come up with plans.
0: Yeah, and it makes sense because, like, he, he says at one point he's a little bit streetwise and yeah. she is certainly... I don't want to say she's not streetwise because she's been living on the streets for years, but she's not streetwise in the same way as like she's not underworld streetwise.
1: Let's just say she's not streetwise. Come on. She's
0: she's able to take care of herself. Kind of. Yeah.
1: Bare minimum. Right. Take care of herself.
0: Yeah. Um, So at this point, Jay mentions that it's hard as racing and there's so much in this in this uh, exchange here. Isn't yours? He asked. How are you calm at a time like this? I'm not, I suppose. She said. She wasn't calm, but it made her uncomfortable to try to explore that simple question of how she felt or where her normal was. There were times her heart raced, and her heart was racing now, but that wasn't unusual. It was almost normal. Whenever it wasn't like this, she couldn't say she was calm. If she wasn't actively doing something, then she generally had other concerns. It was a rare, rare time that she was still, things were mundane, and she found a moment to consider how she felt or how her body was doing. She moved her hand with care because an incautious movement could destroy the car door, wheel, or engine. She didn't recognize her own hand. For the last little while, she had been eating more, thanks to Jay. Her fingers were still thin, but the bones and the tendons at the back weren't quite as defined as they had been. Um, and and then shortly, like just a, a couple sentences later, um, she says... Something about the monster, um, not to worry about it, not as long as he keeps it out of death Chester, and Jay says half the city must be shitting itself right now because they're weak, she said, so that's another one of those beats there's every sentence in this I could pull something out though
1: yeah i mean it's it's almost like too much to find a way to to frame a conversation around <laughs> yeah. it right um, but i the the idea of Normal to her is not what normal is to everyone else like and and she's she's so theatrical. She's so performative that. Even when she's not calm, she looks calm. And how kind of tragic that is, like it was a rare, rare time that she was still things were mundane and she found a moment to consider how she felt or how her body was doing. That's such like a tragic like. He basically says, how are you calm right now? And she's I'm not. And then she goes introspective for a bit and says, like, so what this is kind of saying is. Jay provides her that ability to consider how she was feeling and how her body was doing. And in that moment, she looks at her hand and realizes that I don't recognize this hand. This doesn't look like my hand anymore. And we have to go back to our hand imagery again, that that Jay is changing her and her hand is changing as in response to that and it's it's so it's such like again we talked about this at the beginning but this is such a wonderful clear imagery to to negotiate the changing in Ashley throughout the course of the story
0: yeah i think part of the crisis that's building here is jay is providing her with the like space to actually reflect for the first time yeah in her life almost and she's not at all in a mental place where that's actually going to be a good thing for her. Like right. it's, it's in a, in a sense, it's almost traumatic for her to be forced to reflect on herself when she's not ready for it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's almost as like, we talked about the, the, how her, her wants versus her needs. I think Jay is providing her, her need before she's in a position to realize that it is indeed her need. Yeah. And it's, that. it's painful. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So she's going to reject it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. So anyway, we could go into that even more, but I think we'll we'll have to move on. Um, So Lisset shows up and he stops her convoy. She gets out and distracts him, enabling a few of her trucks to get away. And then she threatens him with dismemberment. And he (laughs) seems like so completely not bothered and and says, you know, kind of confirms, confirms for us, you've never hurt anyone that badly damsel. Um it's a great angle on her character again seeing how dismissive these heroes are these guys who actually know her.
1: Yeah and again going back to that mother father dynamic we established with Edict Licit is is the the other side of that, right? Um like you said the shields are literally boxing her in and and shielding her from bad decisions. Um and it, it's it's very much like a like a parent would never look at their kid and, and think that they're capable of doing really terrible things. It's like, if I can just push you, if I can just help you in places that you need it, um, you're not going to do all these things. And man, I, I'd i love their, the complex relationship between these three so much.
0: Yeah, me too. Um, speaking of which, um, Damsel's saying, if you are lying, how about I put you down? I might not have maimed anyone, you're right about that, but I've killed people, you know. I know, Ashley, he said. I'm sorry that happened. Her expression twitched, irritation, anger. Her voice was hard. What did I say about my name? I wasn't saying it to you, he said in a quiet voice. I was saying it to her. Is that okay?
1: Man, that's like the first time anyone has like out loud established a difference between Ashley and Damsel. And yeah. that's, that's crazy.
0: Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's another example of, of them basically trying to, to parent, I think. Yeah, I think um, so too. It's like,
1: it's like if your kid decides, like, I'm going to call myself laser tomorrow. And be like, okay, that's fine, but I'm not talking to laser right now. I'm talking to Matt.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well said, yeah. I also like this, you know, her expression twitched, irritation, anger. Like I don't I don't buy that it's just irritation and anger. It's yeah. it's pain at yeah, being reminded absolutely. of what happened, you know. And 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 yeah, there probably is irritation and anger because she's sort of like grown a callous over that particular trauma, but the, it, it, the irritation and anger occurs because the callus is being poked.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. You know, it is about, it was about this time on my, my reread in preparation for the podcast that I had this thought about how putting Ashley back in with criminals and having her resume the damsel name was such a stupid fucking idea. Misfit toys. Like this is so dumb. Um, like we're, we're, we're cause in this, scene where like pointing out the difference between Ashley and Damsel and, and kind of uniquely identifying these people and then to say okay Ashley you're recovering but here go pretend to be that person for a while um that was really dumb Matt yeah that was really dumb yeah go and i'm not like i'm not blaming play. yeah i'm not blaming Victoria or the rest of the toys like Ashley absolutely wanted to do it um but the more we learn about Ashley i think the more we see that that was just a Completely wrong-headed plan for the whole group. Like that was it was a bad call.
0: Yeah, yeah. I don't even know if it was a call so much as just like something that happened. But yeah, it's it, it was it was a bad thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, Solicit convinces Ashley that she's not really a priority here, which of course she doesn't like that. To, she doesn't like to hear that either. Um, it's just that her robbery was inconveniently timed to co- coincide with the arrival of the giant monster, and he tells her that he has a sense of who she could be. Um, which is the first time anyone's really like told her anything like that in her life. I'm pretty sure. Um, Except maybe her mom. And he gives her a phone to get in contact with uh, director Armstrong, uh, which she then uh, annihilates.
1: Isn't this is so parental. Like the the more I look at this in the eye and the, in a parental point of view, like the more I see that's exactly what this relationship is because like this idea that, you're not really even the priority here. Like the idea that like a parent is trying to make you feel better in a certain way, but is, is not aware enough to understand what you're going through to say that you saying that is exactly the opposite of the thing they want to hear. I mean, that's such like a, like a parent disconnect with their teenage kid thing. Yeah. But then also this idea of, I see the potential in you. I know what you could be and I want to help you get there. I can't force you to do it. Um, you're, you're, a young adult now you have to make those decisions yourself but i i will do everything i can to lead you to that to that moment and i think i think the the most important thing we're seeing here for setting up the rest of the events of the chapter or, or the arc rather is that as she's being pushed into a corner, she's getting more and more paranoid. She's starting to, like, everyone's out to get her. Like, everyone's lying to her. Anything someone says, if someone says something remotely positive or nice to her, they are trying to trick her. They are lying to her. I don't. I can't trust anyone. Um, she's convinced here that Lisset is out to get her, even though he's shown, like, absolutely no desire to do so. Like, nothing in what we understand of the relationship between the heroes and the capes of, uh, or the heroes and the, the villains of, Uh, is it stafford is that the name of the town she's from um nothing about their relationship in the past has shown that he's like out to trick her and get her um but but she can't she's she's like lashing out as she's pushed into the wall
0: yeah i mean i think her success has actually made her feel even more precarious it's like like the the metaphor of, of climbing the side of the building it's not even that she's like she, she's she's basically as close to winning as she ever gets in this yeah. whole arc here, and yet this is the peak of her paranoia more or less because she's closest to the top, and thus the far is, is the, the the fall is the furthest. yeah, um, especially
1: and- when when you are convinced that you are going to fall when, when and, that, and that is what she is, she is again, we have to go back to we have the bad days and the days you're terrified of the bad days, she thinks. I will fall the higher you go the the worse that fall is going to be
0: yeah yeah so yeah we now we now cut back to Riley's lab uh, where she's asking Riley if she can do anything to allow her to put nail polish on her fingernails and uh I knew this was going to happen Yay. um Riley asks if they could have tea in exchange and Ashley doesn't say no um Uh, But then when Riley leaves the room, Amy asks, uh, she starts to ask about Victoria and Ashley coldly shuts her down.
1: Man, so as as a person who wrote about the nail polish scene for a page, I'm really happy that we've kind of circled back to it here. Um, But again, we go back to the image of the hands, right? And we have like the last time we saw them, she had just gotten these new hands and distinctly noted that they didn't feel like hers And here she's kind of taking ownership of them. She wants to decorate them, costume them, transform this thing that is a source of difficulty to her into something not only beautiful, but distinctly hers. And I I love that idea so much. Yeah.
0: And and she never could have worn nail polish even when she had her own hands. So This is is a uh, a strict upgrade, actually. Yeah, I love Um, it. So and back I, in, the, or, I do yeah. love that. Sorry, sorry.
1: Yeah. I do love that really quick scene between Amy and Ashley, um, where yeah. a- Amy kind of tries to pry a little bit of Victoria, and Ashley immediately shuts her down. I love that respect between Ashley and Victoria. That that kind of unspoken respect here. That I know Victoria would not be comfortable with me divulging information about her, so I'm not going to do it. Yeah,
0: it's it's a defensiveness almost. Yeah. Uh, back in the past, uh, she's now sleeping in the same bed as Jay. Um, although they both yeah, appear yeah. to be, like, clothed. Um, but anyway, she she heads with her gang to the villain Moot, where she takes her place at the fireside for the first
1: time. And Matt, the writing as we approach the end of this chapter is so meanly peaceful, like, especially knowing what's going to happen after this. Yeah. Um, there is, we're, we're riding on a roller coaster right now, and we're heading to the top, and And we know the drop is coming, but before the drop is coming, we have these these moments of this back and forth banter between her and her minions and and this 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 general um, bonding between them. I mean, look at this. Look at the scene between Ashley and Angel. Stop being so happy. Ashley told her there's only so much to go around. There's more to go around than there was a week ago. Angel said bar elbowed her. Yeah. Maybe there is, Ashley said. You're just like, fuck! <laughs> they're like, so, they're, they're like, we've seen, so now we've, we've got definitive confirmation that uh, Ashley and Jay's relationship has moved to the next level. I don't, like, logistically, I don't know how that works for, like, the danger of the hands going off, but never mind that. Um, I, they're there's like these, these beautiful moments between all these characters and it's about to all come crashing down. And it's, especially when you're reading it a second time, it just makes it all the more devastating.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, we've been, we've been foreshadowed that something terrible is going to happen to Jay. Yeah. Um, from almost when we met him. So yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And the, the chapter ends with her heart racing again. We just Mm -hmm. talked about how her heart was racing, back in the thing what that means what her heart racing means to her mood but this this is everything this is the culmination she's stepping she's gonna she's gonna take her place at the fireside and step into the light and be one of these people and i don't think it's gonna go well
0: No, i don't think so so let's let's watch that let's watch that happen x.7 and the clockwork dogs make a really big play they bring in a large number of allies uh, these new groups arrive, and we get a detailed description of them. Um, the uh, the unmasked are the creepy ones with the self harm theme, and uh, Linig Four on the subreddit points out that their leader uh, has a description fairly close to that of one of Classic wenye's shades. Gross. Yeah.
1: I don't like any of these people.
0: Well, well, don't worry, he's dead. So.
1: Well, the unmasked wear masks, Matt. The yeah. hell's up with that? I know it must. Your, brand, your branding
0: sucks on mass. Drives me crazy. Um, so as the more powerful groups arrive and and carve up Boston, uh, damsel realizes she's being cut out, and she starts to try to throw her weight around. Uh, Accord cuts her down uh, with some cruelty, and she begins to rant at him. And then somebody just kind of unceremoniously teleports her away from the fireside.
1: And there it is everything she's done all of her goals to get recognition to be in the center circle to be respected and appreciated it's all gone she it was for nothing she was yeah. cut out removed discarded here comes yeah. here comes the bad part
0: and and it's not even like she lost a fight she just right. was dismissed like a child yeah and uh, that's... victoria
1: could handle or sorry ashley could handle um losing in a knockout like mm-hmm. drag out fight but yeah this is this is the worst way to dismiss her.
0: Yeah, right. So back in the present, uh, in the hearing, Victoria speaks passionately on Ashley's behalf at her hearing. And Ashley is very irritated that Victoria seems to be rejecting her gift of the apartment. Um, but it, it seems to me like a transient emotion. She's not, she doesn't really think Victoria's an idiot. Uh, yeah. She just, she ends the scene actually thinking about how Victoria understands the importance of theater and how how they're similar in that way.
1: Yeah, I really, I really liked getting to see Victoria from someone else's angle and perspective here. The poise, the control, the power she commands with her presence and her words makes you kind of wonder if she turned on her emotional aura a little bit here just for a little, little extra oomph. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. As she pleads with the court. I feel, I feel like she
0: wouldn't have, but I think that's a fun idea.
1: Yeah, I don't think she would have either, but it's probably, probably pretty tempting. Yeah. As far as the theater of it all, I think there's something that we haven't actually drawn much attention to during our analysis so far. But 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 Ashley's love of image and theater are absolutely present throughout every single one of her beats in these chapters. It's it's the motivating factor for everything she does. Um, Why get power? Why get money? Why search for respect? Because the the, the image and the theater are all that matters in this world to her. And all those things are only to serve that. I think I have to agree with Ashley's final assessment though. And I think maybe the text wants us to, because she says, she looks at Ashley and says, or Victoria and says, it was clear from the way Victoria held herself, how she made her arguments and picked her clothes. She understood the image and the theater too. She understood that without both of these things, they had nothing at all. I think Victoria would agree with the first part that that image and theater, especially as a Cape are important parts of your existence. But I don't know if Victoria would go as far as to say without those things, they would have nothing, that they would be nothing.
0: It's interesting, too, that in the next chapter, um, Jack basically contradicts that, too, and says, oh, no, there's so much more than just the theater. Right. Um, so I, I, I'm trying to think if I can figure out how that relates. You know, um, maybe, maybe I'll think of something by the time we get to that point.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guarantee Victoria would say something to the effect of, their tools that that we we're, were we use as capes because it's kind of necessary for us to use as capes. But I would never say the theater of it all would be the only thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. So back in Boston, Ashley's pretty down about the fact that most of her underlings have deserted her after the moot.
1: Yeah, And here we get the first part of a structural framing device that will persist the rest of the chapter. She counts her remaining underlings, 47 or 48 underlings. Mm-hmm. And we'll we'll circle back to this as everything crashes around her in in a, what I think is a beautiful moment to use that structural element.
0: Yeah. Uh, so at this moment, um, she takes Jay's phone and she calls Director Armstrong.
1: With her feet?
0: Yeah. Foot dial. Uh, and, and, and he tells her uh, that uh <coughs> a cauldron is backing Accord and detente and that she can't possibly stand against them. And he tells her that Accord could take her out at any time and he's a mastermind manipulator and so on and so forth.
1: Yeah. And in this moment he offers her a spot on the wards. Um, this was implied from licit before, but this is, this is the director of the PRT of Boston definitively saying, we will take you on our team. And she can't accept it. Of course. Um, and it's not because and and you you got to think that on some level she wants it on some level. That would be exactly what she wants. But, but doing that would admit that you need other people and and it would potentially risk those people. You could destroy uh, that's that's the constant kind of back and forth between Ashley is the fact that she both destroys the people that she's around in her mind, inevitably will destroy them, but also need them. Mm-hmm. And she can't wrestle with those two things. So, of course, she could never she could never be a ward.
0: Yeah. I also really like how Armstrong comes across here. I can't help but compare to, like, Pigot in this scene would have, like, used, you know, triangulated her position and tried to drop a bomb on her while this conversation was happening.
1: (laughs) Yeah, probably.
0: Um, So, um, I think Ashley, uh, like, connects the dots wrong because, like, uh, well, anyway, Accord (laughs) isn't a precog, but I feel like he lined up this shot so well that he might as well be one.
1: Yeah, I I go back and forth on how much credit I want to give a chord for how things go down at the end of this chapter. I, I do I do think there's something to the idea that he saw Ashley as a chaotic element, but maybe thought, if I play this right, I could control that chaos in a way. Um, that's kind of his his modus operandi in general. He wants to bring order to chaos. So maybe he didn't know exactly what she would do, but he knew he could push her to something that would be beneficial to him.
0: Yeah, I mean, and, and we don't even know what detente power is like that. Right. There's all kinds of I, I think it it's too poetic that, you know, basically he he dismisses her in a way that guarantees that she wants to make a big splash in her exit. Yeah. Which only serves him, really. So,
1: yeah, let, like like, her-
0: like you said, maybe he didn't know exactly what she would do, though.
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean, you you might be right. I think that might be giving him too much credit. But then again, He is a badass. Yeah.
0: So she goes back inside and apparently she's decided that Jay is a spy, a mole. And she kind of cracks and she slowly kills him, tearing him apart piece by piece. And he gets in his final dig and says, you will never, never another me, never this. And as she sadistically kills him, she then scours the hotel room, and she keeps one souvenir of Twisted Metal from the scene.
1: I'm glad you didn't pull any more quotes from the scene than the one you just read, because it's it's rough. Yeah. This is really rough. Um, I've seen a lot of talk on the subreddit and elsewhere about this idea of, was Jay a spy? I, 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 no, I don't think so. Um, th- there's no There's nothing anywhere in the text that would imply that... Um, that, that that is the way. And I think I think the scene works because her in her rage and paranoia, paranoia and chaos, she lashes out against the thing that is changing her. She felt something for Jay. Jay was changing her hands, remember? And she sees this change maybe subconsciously as part of the reason she failed. And like she did when she decided to, that, that she was willing to kill Brandish. She's searching to get back into that zone again, attempting to kill Brandish did it for her. Jay is the reason she's failing, so perhaps killing him will do the same thing, and she she does it. I don't I don't think he was spying on her. Um, I haven't seen anything in my examination of the text that even hints at that. Um, not that it's impossible, but I, the scene works so much better without that.
0: And this just feels very much like one of those like she takes an action that felt right at the time, but is obviously wrong in retrospect you know like right. she's she's this isn't calculated we don't see what we're we're seeing into her head and we don't see the moment where she thinks this is all jay jay is a spy Jay's working for a cord she just kind of goes inside and and things have their own momentum from there you know right i mean like like you could even imagine that it could have gone a different way like she takes his hand he pulls away he loses his hand she didn't decide to do it yes she did decide to grab his hand you know she i'm not i'm not not absolving her of what happened here it's more like things get out of control so quickly with her yeah that that it's it's hard to even like trace the point at which this this like started to go downhill
1: you're absolutely right i don't think she walked back into that uh hotel room saying jay's a spy i'm gonna kill him yeah i think it just it just escalated to that point yeah Um,
0: And I think others have pointed out like other other members of her gang who are like more likely to be the spy, actually.
1: Yeah, I think that O'Brien guy, right, is a pretty popular. Yeah,
0: that just makes that just makes sense fairly kind of straightforwardly.
1: If there even was one. I mean, with with Cauldron as your backer, like, I don't know if you really need to infiltrate with a spy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right. She's not that important, really. So she staggers away from the hotel and thinks of all the people who have sabotaged and abandoned her or, or just abandoned her, I should say. And she sees Blasto's giant nearby. And again, kind of on, on the momentum of the moment, she flies toward it and she attacks it. She tears into it and through it and, and in and out of it until it loses the strength to hold itself together and it collapses.
1: Yeah. Um, And this is where we start to get that countdown we were talking about. Mm -hmm. Ashley counting down the number of people loyal to her, the people that she has left. And this slowly goes as she's, as she's fighting and destroying this monster until she gets to one, one last person in her group herself. She needed to reaffirm that faith to leave some impact. So we see here that I don't think she's, she's killing this giant to impress anyone else anymore. It's still theater. It's always theater, but this is a one man show and she's she's putting it on for the only person she has left herself this is to reaffirm her faith in herself to leave some impact for herself and yes for boston too but i think this is more all about her
0: yeah i i really love that that connection um and and i agree with you that's that's exactly what she's doing here um and then as she flies away from the giant and, and retreats she lands badly and she uh she she essentially breaks her hand. Um and and she she says, ow, she mewled the world the word, and she hated the sound. A 16-year-old should sound that young and small, she knew.
1: So first of all, she breaks her hand. She breaks her hand, Matt. Yeah. I don't even think we need to go into an explanation <laughs> of this one. That it's just the hand imagery has been, just been so wonderfully covered throughout this entire arc that her breaking it here says everything like you, I don't need to explain what that means for her character right now, yeah. but I love the closing of the, the that that callback to the sound. Um, now it's been, it's been three years since she made a sound that was too young for her age at 13, three years, but underneath all the deaths, the power grab, the posturing, the theater, she's still that same girl. She's, she's still making sounds too small for her age. And that's that's where we leave her in this chapter. That's where where the Boston games end for her
0: yeah fuck um, yeah, fuck i know and <laughs> i I like that this this is a great like ending chapter for the Boston games, but it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't resolve all the threads of eclipse and and I was wondering if this was gonna be the end of eclipse actually when when it when this chapter ended. And, you know, I I was I kind of was like 50 50 and it it made sense that it wasn't because while this is the end of the Boston games, it's not the end of how we got to where we are with Ashley. Yeah, and And this is
1: I I think we'll get into this end of the chapter, but this is I think the difference between Ward and Worm, mm -hmm. because I think if this if this arc was in Worm, it might end here, Mm -hmm. but Ward is talking about something different. And it's exploring something different. And so you're absolutely right that it's so important that we end this arc where it is. The conceit of this entire story has not been revealed yet. And so we have to get there before we end it.
0: Yes, exactly. So we move on into the final chapter of Eclipse. And Ashley is back in her hometown. And we'll soon learn that she's been lying low for quite some time now. It's actually been four years since she killed the giant. And uh, she approaches some of the hometown, the hometown hooligans and strikes up a conversation with uh, Fappy, who uh, isn't scared of her, unlike the younger kids.
1: I love how she's not even sure that this kid's name is Fappy. She's like, I think I remember this one. Fappy, right? I I'll
0: call you Fappy.
1: No one ever actually calls him Fappy, and she never actually says the word Fappy out loud. So I'd like to think his name is like john or something but she just couldn't remember it and that's the first thing that popped into her head It's just fappy yeah
0: you look like a fappy yeah uh so we learned that she's been you know laid low for, for a while by a cut that became badly infected
1: yeah that's the kind of thing that having a squire to clean your wounds would really be helpful for yep the details of this are really gruesome that because she's yeah. like oh no i got a cut let me use my power to blow away the the bacteria that's getting yeah. in my cut. And oh, that then, oh, that's work. Not, that's not working. Let me take a shard of my leftover stuff to, to stab into the wound to open it up so I can really get my power up in there. Yeah. It's like, oh, Jesus.
0: Yeah. Turns out that your, like, destruction power is not secretly a healing power. Yeah. <laughs> so Fappy mentions that Stan and his girlfriend are both at the hospital, which, uh, Great. Good. I'd like to thank our listeners for pointing out that this is the worst thing ever.
1: No, Matt. Nothing bad happens at hospitals. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You're welcome, everyone. (laughs) Um, So he asks Damsel to help look after his younger relatives and make sure they don't get into trouble. But she basically just tells him, no, she can't really do that. Yeah. And then there's this great exchange. I might never see you again. It's bugging me. Should we have done anything different? I don't know what you're talking about. Fappy pulled off his hat and scratched at his hair. Should we have invited you to hang out or had a cigarette with you? When Stan had the room set up in the garage, we watched videos. Should we have had you over? Would that have been weird? Having been sick, her defenses weren't what they were supposed to be. The questions were hard to hear.
1: It's it's weird to think how tiny differences can balloon and Mm -hmm. end up defining who we are. And I think that's one of the the overall messages of this thing because Ashley scoffs at this thing. She says, yeah, that would have been weird. Shouldn't have done that. But would it have?
0: Yeah. I mean, mean yeah.
1: Would this small thing have been enough to set her down a better path?
0: And, and that's why it's hard to hear. I think is, is she's you, she can't help but hear that and think things could have been different. Things could have it, it like the, the, not even saying things could have been great. Just things could be better than where they are now. Like I could be, I could have a couple of friends. Yeah. Instead of, instead of none, you know, even that would be a gift to her at this point. That's how bereft she is.
1: Yeah. And I wonder thinking about this in the context of the larger story, she's just gone through this horrible incident. Well, just, it's four years ago, but in narrative sense, she's just gone through this horrible incident. And here we have kind of the aftermath of it. And I don't know if this version of Ashley has learned much from this thing, like the, the growth that we would want to see in this character that we will see in the character by the end of this chapter. I don't know if this version of Ashley has experienced it, because once again, she scoffs at this idea. She says, no, like like I don't know if she's taken what she needs from this. And maybe it's not until it becomes someone else's memories entirely that the person can take what she needs from it.
0: I think it's also the what what Ashley has said to Victoria before, like you're at rock bottom, right? She's at rock bottom right now, right now. And then something is about to reach up from below and pull her down. And that that's what it takes to get her to the point where she's like, you know what? I'm going to tap out of this whole situation and try something different. Uh, Because right now, yeah, she's she's stagnating. She's not. She's not getting worse and she's not getting better, really. Maybe she is getting worse slightly, but the nine come and they and they completely upset the apple cart.
1: I I like that a lot. I like I forgot about that. You think you're at at back bottom and then something pulls you lower because that is that is precisely what happens here. And I I bet anything this is what she was thinking about when she said that. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I think you're right. So, yeah, on her way back to her dwelling from this conversation, she finds a package of electrolyte drinks and the long-awaited chocolate eclairs delivered by uh, Edict, presumably.
1: And um, I'm crying. Yeah. This is... Even after everything that happened in Boston, all the disagreements they had, Mama Edict and Papa Lisset still genuinely care about Ashley and want to help her and are helping her.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um... Uh, of course, what happens next doesn't make this a happy moment for me. Uh, no, because now she hears sirens and it's some kind of disturbance. It took me the longest time to put this all together, by the way. Um, like it—it it wasn't until like she thought someone was in her house, and I was like, "Oh, I, I get it." I yeah, I
1: did not. I did not get it on my first read-through. That's for sure. Yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, so, so she heads out into in the night trying to figure out what the disturbance is, but she doesn't have any luck.
1: It's certainly wasn't the hospital being attacked and everyone ended up being horribly slaughtered by Hookwolf. That's not what happened.
0: No, no. Moving on. <laughs> uh, when she returns home, she has visitors. Of course, Jack slash is waiting and she knows enough to know that she doesn't have much of a chance. Uh, she starts out, uh, trying flattery. Um, not very successfully in, in the sense that she doesn't really seem to be persuading him of anything. Um, yeah. I, I love this moment where, like, this is the first interaction with Bonesaw, basically. This person she'll have this complicated relationship with. And Bonesaw sees, sees the eclairs and grabs one. And J- Jack tells her to ask permission. And she says, can I please? And Ashley responds, yes, go ahead. Leave me one. Um, To which I must wonder, how hard is it for Ashley to fight with those giant balls? <laughs>
1: Well, when you think uh, image and theater are the most important things in the world, Matt, you tend to get really fucking good at them. Yeah. <laughs> That's so just she, a badass moment. She,
0: she kind of decides that she's going to try to kill Bonesaw um, since she can't really reach Jack.
1: <laughs> okay, then.
0: Um, but Jack starts to work on her at this point. And since we have sequel awareness powers, uh, we not only know like how this exact exchange ends... But we also know why we know that Jack is subconsciously, you know, outmaneuvering her like verbally and also powers wise, targeting her need for attention and glory while also effortlessly staying out of her range. Yeah. Um, And because of this, because she never really had a chance, she she waits too long to make a move. Bonesaw and Jack cut off her hands kind of in concert um, and uh, it says she'd wanted what Jack was telling selling to her and now she would have it.
1: Yeah, I, I think this moment is really great. I, I love how this plays out, and, and I love how we can see Jack's method working on her, even as she convinces herself that it's not. Um, she keeps saying, as soon as I get an opening, I'll attack. As soon as I get an opening, I'll attack. But I think we, everyone knows that that opening is like never going to come. Mm-hmm. And as anything with anything the Slaughterhouse Nine do, the, the actual choice here isn't so much of a choice. Mm-hmm. Um, they were not going to let her go one way or another and but but i think it is important that she recognizes that what he's selling a part of her does want um a a solution to her problem um a a way a a way towards control she does want it and yeah she gets it
0: yeah she never stopped wanting it after boston i think she just she just didn't have the capacity to go for it again yeah and this is this is the the hard the hard lesson that she gets for not having learned the right lesson from boston like you said
1: yeah and it all comes back to the hands once again matt that not just broken here but cut off removed mm-hmm. gone ashley gone
0: yep and then from here we move rather murkily through time as she travels with the nine to accords base and leads them inside blowing away his ambassadors and Finding Blasto in the basement, um, and Blasto <laughs> doesn't recognize her.
1: Just to you know, rub salt in the wound. I killed yeah. your giant. Who?
0: Yep, I-, I had actually gone back and read uh, this chapter uh, in Worm um, to to refresh myself, and and it it first of all, it plays exactly this way. This is exactly the way it goes, and yeah, Bla- and I was I was like, I thought it was you know, it's- I-, I was like. Honestly, I was like, I wonder if that was a mistake that Blasto didn't recognize her. And it's like, nope, Blasto just didn't recognize her. She doesn't care. It's not important. Um, so, and then, of course, this is my favorite thing in the world is I'm going to bring back that line from uh, chapter four. <laughs> Armor's master has discipline, Ashley said. He has more tools. And then connect that here in this final chapter. She had died in Blasto's lab. A hero she didn't even know had cut her in half um it was it was arms master it was the guy that you respected yeah. and thought had discipline and thought was was kind of a, a cool guy he yeah. was the guy who killed you
1: yeah that's really poetic and and tragic and terrible
0: i guess i don't have a lot more to say about that other than
1: You just, you just lost your mind about it. Like I I was there. I witnessed it. Yeah.
0: I I lost my mind in real time when I read this and and I'm just conveying that to everyone now. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So, so then, then next after this, she remembers being in the tank grown by Bonesaw, then being euthanized in the tank many times uh, and then, you know, being killed and everything, all of her other versions, remember And it says, uh, she had died in Blasto's lab, um, that part that I just read. She had metaphorically died when her core identity had been taken away from her, her hands, her voice. The theater had been all she'd had, and she'd lost it. She had died in Bonesaw's lab over and over again. She had died many times. She had been boiled alive. Her head had been cut open. The brain poked out while she was awake. Seven times she had died since leaving the lab. Now she reached out with bladed and and with bladed fingers, closed around bladed fingers. They watched the world end. Um, So that, to me, suggests that she may even remember what uh, hashtag Slashly remembers. Uh, Is that what we're calling her? That's Slashly. Slashly, uh, independent of her own memories.
1: Yeah i I don't even know what to talk about here, other than this is really emotionally impactful. And I think it's you know repetition in speeches works really well mm-hmm. and, and and it's because repetition in just about anything works really well. Um, repeating beats over and over again sells the impact of them. That's exactly what we're doing here. She died in Blaster's lab. She died when her identity had been taken from her. She died in Bonesaw lab. Seven times she died. And now here at the end of the world, she's not dying. She's just holding hands with her clone friend. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, it's, yeah wow
0: I know so yeah now she's in she's in prison such as it is joined with her companion another Ashley uh, who still has the modified arms with the blades um, and we learned that you know there was no incredible insight that that our Ashley had that led her on a different course she didn't have a revelation it was just a meaningless difference between the two of them that that caused her to make one choice and the other Ashley to make the other and set them on two entirely different courses
1: yeah that I mean that's it's so fucking brilliant like the, the, here's our conceit revealing itself that that the reason why they're different or the seemingly start of the chain of events is other Ashley answered the bone Saw's question a second before she did and decided keep the hands yeah and she made a different choice and everything's snowballed into these two different people looking at each other um obviously like physically different she points out her hair
0: yeah right she and, point the, the the hair moment where she says uh come in i can't believe what you did to your hair and ashley says it's so much lighter <laughs> which is just like the most poetic line in the yeah, whole yeah. arc to me this is
1: this is so brilliant like i love how else do we show the progress Ashley had made. How else do we show the growth and how far she's come? Let's compare her to herself and not just her past, not just those memories, those memories that are um, unreliable. And in some cases, maybe not even hers. Let's compare her to a literal version of herself that has just made different choices. Let's, let's look at the literal difference between these two people. It's so incredible.
0: Yeah. And, And it's a great, you know, it's a great device for for talking about the human condition because you're like yeah. you're you're saying okay we literally have just like copied a person and perturbed one in the slightest way and and we look at this butterfly effect and 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 then we see where they end up and we have this is where Ashley has has ended up. Uh, yeah. Slashly says, "Ah, you have a friend. I have a lot of friends." Ashley said, "I've had a lot of good days with." bad days I can manage because I know more good days are coming
1: and this this is Ward Matt this is what this thing is all about above all else it's a story is about hope and throughout everything Ashley has been through in this arc abuse death death many many deaths her hers hers and others pain fear losing herself throughout all of this it was the bad days and the days that made her dread the bad days. Now, at the end of all that, good days with days that can be managed. That's recovery. That's hope. This arc is really sad. So many terrible, sad things happen. The stuff that this kid has to go through, I, I can't believe she survived it all, and technically she didn't. Yeah. But at the end of it all, hope light F- the future
0: mm-hmm. yeah the the moon moves away from the face of the sun um and and finally as we wrap up this chapter the two of them confirm that they both have memories that they shouldn't have and not just from other people in past lives because apparently there's a great plane of red black crystal one facet cracking and then mending in the span of a few seconds The creaking sound and the dull static, it's a recollection that isn't exclusive to us.
1: So good writing usually serves multiple purposes at the same time, right? Mm -hmm. Eclipse is a very unique arc. It's dropped in the middle of Torch. It's almost like the middle of a chapter. Chapter 7.4 is like half as long as most chapters. So it's almost as if this entire arc is just dropped in the middle of a chapter. And you could argue that this is just basically hitting the pause button on the story of Ward to explore Ashy a little bit more. And that wouldn't be entirely wrong. But Wildbo is a good writer. And he understands that just because it is that does not mean it can't be more than that. And it is. We've had several beats throughout this story about the connections between shards. We've had rain's room. We've had this idea of this shard afterlife thing that, that, that weird vision that broken trigger guy has right before he dies. We've had all these, these beats exploring this. And then we go to eclipse eclipse that is filled with conversations about memories. And we learn at the end that while Riley, when Riley stuffed some memories into these clones, the shards happily like pulled data to plug the holes in those memories. But there's something else going on here, too, in this final moment, something much seemingly more dire. This, this great plane of red, black crystal that's cracking and rehealing. Um, that's that's our story. That's where our story is going. Whatever this is and how it relates to all this other weird stuff that's happening. That's where we're going. So in this arc, not only do we learn so much more about Ashley, we saw Ashley's growth. We reinforced the themes of the story. We also threw some plot pieces down. So this thing that is different from many of the other things we've seen in the story does all these things at the same time. And it was written in a week,
0: (laughs) a week. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think I have anything else to say about, about eclipse. It's, I, uh, was blown away by it and I'm glad we got a chance to really go deep. Um, and, uh, mm-hmm. I feel like we're going to be kind of reflecting back on it and, and talking about kind of the, the echoes of it as we go forward into the, into the rest of this story. I agree. Um, and I think, I think that wraps it up for us. Um, I think, uh, that's, that's all we got for you this week on, we've got ward. And as you guys are all part of this show now, feel free to provide us with advice Questions or thoughts on this week's reading?
1: Man, we're all discombobulated because like, that was such an emotional ending. I know. Um, you can reach us via email at gotwormpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at gotwormpod. My personal Twitter is at scottdaily85 and Matt's is at blackbreadcrystalcrack. More than a male.
0: That would be an awesome name. <laughs> If you're not already subscribed to We've Got Ward, we strongly recommend you do so and never miss an episode. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else in the world that you can listen to podcasts.
1: As always, you can find this, all the other podcasts we do, and all of our writing, essays, film, and TV criticism, and more at dailyplanetfilms.com. This week, hopefully, we will have another Weaver Dice episode. We had one drop over the weekend, but we recorded one on Sunday, and hopefully that'll be out Soonish, um, not going to hold any promises there. But but, We Were Dice. It's great. Yeah. Listen to it.
0: Garage Band, willing. Yeah, we we're having an enormous amount of fun with those. And, oh, it's so much fun. And I'm I'm really happy with how that's going. So yeah, check it out if you haven't. Yeah. Um. That's yeah. So um, if you like any of our other shows and you want to support us, consider donating to our Patreon account, Patreon.com/slash Daily you can donate a dollar a month or whatever else you can afford. Supporting us on Patreon gives you tons of great bonuses, like voting in our quarterly fan art contests, Q and A sessions, access to live streams for our recordings, and our excellent Discord chat. And as always, while you're over there on Discord, make sure you stop by Patreon.com/Wildbow and donate to him as well. This is his world; we're just playing in it.
1: And if you cannot afford to donate right now, that's absolutely okay. There are tons of other ways you can help us. You can share the podcast with friends and not friends and you can also go over to apple podcasts and leave us a rating and a review we've got no new reviews to read this week which means you guys got some work to do so get on it
0: (laughs) all right that's it for the show this week Uh, next week we will presumably be heading back into arc 7 torch